Everybody. Welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wabo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my co-host, Scott Daly. You know, Matt, I, I've been thinking about it, and I think, you know, we've been doing this podcast for like three years. I, I really think we need to shake something up. I think what we need around here is just like a, a really good genocide. Yeah, and, and by that you mean, of course, like, like a metaphorical genocide. No. Like like a change of life so abrupt that it's basically more or less genocide-esque. No, I I mean like killing a whole bunch of people. And um, by killing, killing, of course, you mean... Ending all the, their lives. Which is code for... B- making their heart stop. Because you will genocide away their hate. Yes, along with their entire existence. Well, huh... At least it'll be quick and painless, right? Sure. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's worlds of clumsy torsos, disappointing birdmen, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we continue with chapters 20.7 and 20.8. We're getting to the end of last. It's the last chapters of last. The last At least ones. we're in the back half, right? It feels like yeah, it anyway. It feels like it, sure. The fighting against the Seamer reaches its peak as all the major characters from the book team up to kick her fucking ass. It eventually works with the coup de grace coming from Rain Vicky as they combo to slice her the fuck up. Then Vicky and the remaining members of Breakthrough confront Chris, who shockingly does exactly what the Seamer said he would do. Well, there goes Operation Genocide, which, as it turns out, it's just... It's just genocide. Uh-huh. <laughs> Matt, what did you think of these two chapters? Well, um, we get, you know, ever escalating awesome combat. Uh, and and th- this this had so many great moments, great, glorious moments. Um, and, and then, of course, that's the first chapter. Then the second chapter will be this really, really, really good character chapter. Like just it's basically it's almost entirely conversations and it's it just works on me so well and uh what you know i i think it, it's always harder for us to talk about the combat chapters i mm-hmm. will say this week that there is a lot of cool character stuff threaded throughout the combat chapter but it's it's the character stuff that i kind of can't wait to get to yeah yeah I, I do think that this like and we might have talked about this before but it just the way things have divided up this week we have a chapter that's really strong action and then a chapter that is literally just people talking yeah um and it's cool just to see those two things here at at the end of the book we'll see like maybe one one last chance of those two different kinds of chapters to be right right up next to each other um to where we get to talk about both different things that this book does in the same week yeah yeah okay cool um announcements real quick march's madness 2020 the elite eight is live now yeah so there are four matchups to vote for this week it keeps going down by half every time so get in your votes for that as always we will be talking about the results of of the sweet 16 and reading some of your comments here at the end of this show and we will pick our choices for the four matchups after that 
I don't know how I'm going to do that, Matt. I have I, I created the matchups, and then I said, I'm not dealing with this right now. I'll, I'll deal with it on the show, and I don't know how I'm going to vote on some of these. I think it's going to be really tough. I haven't even looked at it yet, so that's going to well, be good. great. That's smart. That's smart. Yep, that's yep. Smart. Um, and then the second thing is, well, the book club is this Friday. Um, it is. We're covering um, the, the Way of Kings by Brando Sando. Yeah, the um, first half of the Way of the Kings. The first half of Way of Kings, because it's a big book. We wanted to kind of do it justice because it's a gigantic book. Um, that's this Friday. Come join us for the live discussion. And and we like to be interactive on those. So if, if you participate, we will, you know, we'll respond to what you say in, in the chat. So that's, we will. that's cool. And then there's another, there's a new thing, Scott. What, do you want to talk about the new thing? Sure. Uh, Elliot and Ruben, you know, fresh off of finishing uh, Deep Impact are looking for more stuff to do. And one of the things they decided they want to start is a game club, a video game club, which is basically the same thing as the book club, except instead of books, they're going to talk about games so that the idea would be just like we do for the books. They offer up five selections that have been nominated by uh, listeners and the patrons will vote on which of those five games that they want to play. And then over the next month, you will play the game hopefully beat the game and then everyone will get together live uh, on our YouTube streaming channel, just like the book club and talk about the game. And um, they will lead those conversations. I think, I think that f- maybe one day you and I will guest on some of those, but for now that's going to be their baby and we're very excited for them. But uh, if you like the idea of like a book club, but you don't read very much outside of this book and, but you play a lot of video games, maybe that's the the club for you. Yeah. Um, I, I can't wait to semi participate. I don't have a lot of time for games, but um, I'm sure that'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, like my life is so busy that I need like I need like mandatory structure to make myself do things outside of the stuff I'm already doing. Right. So I think that I'm excited about this idea because they pick a game and I can be like, usually when I have when I'm like, I have time to play a game, I'm like, OK, but what game do I play? And then I spend like 20 minutes trying to figure out yeah. what game I want to start this. I'll just be like, um, OK, well, I'll. Pick that one that they've forced me to play. That's a really good point. Yeah. So because otherwise I'll just keep playing Starcraft until I die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But another cool thing Elliot and Ruben are doing is on their Deep Impact podcast feed, they're putting out a series of pilot episodes for pilot season. Yeah. Yeah. It's they're calling it pilot season. It's it's for um, basically trial runs of a bunch of different ideas for possible next shows. So um, that'll be fun. And basically, that's going to be happening over the next couple of months yeah and i think the the one episode that will be out this week um by the time you're all listening to this show will be their pilot episode discussing the first arc of twig yeah so um i I think that's very exciting it's a book i i have not started yet um so but if you've been waiting for twig content i think this is like the first thing that anyone in our group has done so it's really exciting um that'll be on the deep impact feed i think they're keeping it there for the time being so if you're subscribed to deep impact you'll find the episode there the second it drops if you're not why not yeah if, if you're not then even if you haven't read pack you'll probably still enjoy checking out their pilot season so go subscribe uh, i agree i agree cool all right getting on into 20.7 let's do it so despite the tone of grim determination at the end of the previous chapter, here Victoria's first thought on seeing the capes leap into the attack on her urging to kick her ass a sufficient amount is that she has just played into the Simberg's hands. Yeah, and I know I'm going to sound like a broken record here, Matt, but 
maybe she has. I, I don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't know. Um, but we see in, in this in this moment that all these various capes aren't really working together in the classic Taylorian sense of it. Uh, they're all just charging in and striking at the same time, uh, which just puts them at risk. Right. They're like they're not coordinating in a way that like staggers attacks or anything. It's just everyone's attacking at the same time, which means everyone's in the way of everyone else's attacks. And it's like, uh oh, uh oh. Yeah, it's like it's like a Hail Mary where you've completely crowded the end zone and therefore it's really hard for one person to catch the ball. Right. Exactly. That's exactly the metaphor I went for as well. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to like jump to the end of the of the discussion, but like later on when Chris says you didn't really hurt her enough and you never could have beaten her here. Like, I don't know if that's oh, Chris, if I'm supposed to feel like, yeah, Chris is just so cynical and and that's such a Chris thing to say or if I'm supposed to feel like. Yep, that's what I that's what I thought. That's what we said last week, right? <laughs> like, like, like as awesome as this chapter is, there's this constant feeling for me of like, great hit. That was awesome. That was so badass. I don't think it mattered. <laughs> yeah. However, what did that do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's a more than just Chris will echo that sentiment. Right. And we have some of the highest ranking members of organizations in this book echoing that same sentiment. True. So, true. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't I don't know. Well, the cool thing that it does, though, it is because it's everyone attacking at the same time. This chapter is basically like the cool send off for all of our side characters. And and I don't know that for certain. We might see some of these people again, but we do have like a lot of our less uh, focused on side characters get their individual moments to shine in this final big, huge battle against the Seamurg. And to the point where it kind of feels to me like uh, a last chance to say goodbye to some of these characters like withdrawal has this amazing moment and we're like oh thanks withdrawal torso has this i won't call it amazing moment but it's a moment um and we'll be like thanks buddy yeah um, good good try right and we, we get that with several of our characters throughout this chapter and it really does feel like this like one last hurrah um until the book kind of moves on to what i think is going to be a very like I, I don't know if the final, final climax of this novel is going to be a big fight like like Worm was, you know, like it feels like the fighting part is done. And I, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next. But. Yeah, it's almost a coin flip for me between there's going to be one more big, big fight where they go, yeah. you know, fight Seamurg and or Titans ver- versus just it's going to be mostly more character small small scale decisions escalating uh, from this point i really i really don't know yeah i I don't know either and it's interesting that like we're here we're here near the end and and i think you're right it could certainly go either way it feels to me that it's going to go small character choices way but i've been wrong before and i'll be wrong again yeah yeah so but i mean like this this chapter is just awesome taken taken for what it is like it's it's (laughs) this, this awesome sequence of moments where they do indeed appear to kick her ass like like solid hit after solid hit is landed, especially toward the first part here. Like mm-hmm. the first several paragraphs are just the sequence of devastating blows being landed by all, like all these heavy hitters, um, in, including this really cool moment where Solar Stair makes her toasty on the inside and Byron makes her frosty on the outside. <laughs> um, it's it's really cool. Yeah, you're right. Um, it is satisfying. It is really satisfying. Like. Victoria hates the Seamurg, but like she always hated the Seamurg. But at the end of this long 
gauntlet of awfulness. She just fucking hates her. And we're right there along with her. And it's really satisfying to see these people just pummel the shit out of this. Ugh, I hate her. Yeah. Um, except, yeah, you're right. You have to go back to that thing. Like, at least the, in those seven paragraphs that start the chapter where it's like these really satisfying fuck yes. Um, it the seamer is just standing there like she's not even trying to defend herself and it's just like okay um is she just like not knows she's not in any kind of trouble and just like chilling waiting for like the dyna power to wear off just enough to where she can use a little bit to act like to, to plan to actually stop them like she's not really worried about any of this at all so yeah it's like you have these badass moments, but they're all coupled together with these moments of, like you said, is this doing anything? Is yeah. It? I don't know. I guess that particular thing didn't bother me. I figured that she was sort of caught flat footed by suddenly, suddenly everyone is protected by Dinah's sort of power by uh, the, you know, by extension of Victoria's power. And so, she can't predict them. And so it, it looks like she's just being pummeled, but like relatively quickly, she starts using her telekinesis and so forth to protect herself. So yeah, I, I mean, anyway, that it, I never at any point felt like, Oh, she's not even trying, but like, I also think it's entirely likely that none of this was ever a real threat to her. So sure. Sure. Um, yeah. So there are a few great character th- like threads woven through this fight. Uh, one of them being damsel, getting more and more furious that she feels uh, the swan song in her wanting to team up with Victoria. Um, Yeah. There's this really great moment where she looks over a damsel and damsel looks at her in a swan songy (laughs) kind of way. Yeah. Um, And I I love this. She brought a hand to her head and belatedly seemed to remember she had a giant multi-jointed knives for fingers and couldn't actually run her fingers through her hair or hold her head. They remain poised there. It's just like this perfect moment of, I forgot who I was for a second. Yeah. I forgot like, and I, I have long been fascinated by this damsel swan song stuff. And we're kind of seeing, I, I don't know if we're done with damsel after this chapter. I, I, I kind of think maybe we'll have just one more beat with her. Um, but we do have like a, a little mini arc here in this chapter um, of seeing that struggle brought to bear again. And, and Victoria, like extending the hand one last time and having damsel swatted away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that bit that 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 bit you just pulled out. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of one of the few kind of major limitations of close first person or yeah, close first person is what this is, because mm-hmm. um, th- this would be such a wonderful time to just jump over to Damsel's perspective. Right. And, and, sure, and see sure. this moment and what this moment feels like to her internally. Of course, what Wildlow has done in the course of a story like this is he has built up our understanding of this character very well, such that he can just show us an image like this, a visual image. And that's enough to kind of press the right buttons and, and, and make us realize what she's going through in this moment. Yeah. Well, we talk about how sometimes limitation breeds creativity, right? And so because Wildbow could not just cut over to damsel and we'll see exactly what's going on inside damsel's head he has to come up with this different way of expressing this information to us through victoria and so he comes up with the idea of trying to to brush back trying to put her hand on her head in some kind of like devil may care whatever attitude like trying to play it off as if she's not furious or bothered or she's above it all and all it actually does is expose 
how uncertain she is about her self her, herself right now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just a really cool way of like, we, we maybe wouldn't have gotten to see that had we been in third person and could have just jumped over there. True. So. True. I like it. Yeah, me too. Um, we also have to link back to our girl Sveta Matt because we left last chapter with Sveta in a bad place. She loses, she, she comes out animalistically and like, splats a blood play on the ground um and so we have to remember that she was in a really bad place and that chapter ended with victoria pushing out with her aura as part like the same with the it was bad was basically how she commanded or or gave notice to everyone to attack the seamer simultaneously was with her aura and then she sees sveta here at the beginning of this chapter and asked her what she can do to help and sveta is basically like nothing just don't use that aura again. I almost hurt someone and I, I could do it again. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, this is so sad to me, Matt. And and here's, I, I want to bring this up to you now and we'll circle back around to this as we go further in the chapter. I, I'm worried I'm being a little pessimistic here, but I do kind of see this experience as being like a, 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 a change in their relationship or a break in their relationship that I don't know if it will be repairable in the same kind of way it has been in the past. Um, I, I don't know. Like this, this part here is so set, like go fight. I'll manage. I've managed for a long time. And I mean, it could, I could just be literally falling into the trap of Victoria's point of view where she's punishing herself for what she did. And she's overreacting to, to Sveta and, and assuming thoughts in Sveta that aren't there. Very possible. But I also do kind of feel like this has broken and hurt Sveta on a, a real fundamental level. And I, I don't know if, if they're ever going to quite have the same kind of friendship they've had in the past. And that, I don't know, that makes me really sad. Yeah. Um, th- that's, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know if it affected me in the same exact way, but I kind of see what you're talking about. I, I think this goes into this idea that we've been talking about the last few weeks of, of how, you know, each of these characters sort of had their moment, their catharsis, their their big change. But that didn't that didn't mean, OK, now we're done with them. They're static now. They're fixed now. Their their character arc is over. And so we're just kind of setting them aside and into the background like like there's backsliding. There's, um, you know, old issues coming up again. And I think it really speaks to this idea that even if you have you know even if you're well down the road to recovery if you go into you know the place where you had your worst trauma and then a psychic alien uh probes your mind for your greatest vulnerabilities um you could always backslide yeah yeah well i mean like just i i feel like the i've managed for a long time it feels like a statement of resignation you know like she she fought so hard and she got a body and like this was she finally got a body and we were so happy for her. And finally, she didn't have to manage. Finally, she just had a thing. She had the thing that she wanted and she had control and everything was going to be OK. And now we're here back to I'll manage. I've always managed. I'll, I've managed for a long time. And that's what and like resignation to that's just what my life is going to be. It's going to be just managing. I'm never going to be able to relax. I'm never going to have what I wanted. Um, and that that sucks. That yeah. Sucks so much. Yeah, no, I, I, I see exactly what you mean. It's, it's sort of previously, it seemed like she, she was closing the book on that chapter of her life where she couldn't control her body. And now it's gotten so bad that she's like, no, this is just more, more of that. I had a short break from it where I had a body that listened to me. 
Yeah. And now that that is over and I'm back to not being in control and I'm dangerous again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And in theory, she knows about the whole genocide thing. right? Uh-huh. In theory. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, we can talk about that when we get there, I think. Yeah, we, we, we will. Yeah. So the Seamurg starts to use the environment against them, uh, having had plenty of time to get a good reading on the structure around them. And it all starts to fall apart. Um, though the various capes like Byron and Golem are able to hold the collapse at bay. Yeah, Byron using rock, yep. right? Once again, we're seeing that he now basically is able to shift his power in the way that they used to shift their their selves. Yeah. Um, and that's cool. Like, I, I'm choosing to, to be hopeful and to not make myself sad. I'm choosing to look at that as a Tristan lives on in, in his brother, right? Instead uh-huh. of in the, oh, this reminds me of my brother. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm choosing to look at that as like, oh, the power, the spirit, the soul of Tristan lives on in his brother fighting using both both sides of the power. Um, that's what I, that's that's the metaphor I'm taking from it. And may, maybe that's, again, just me grasping at things that make me OK with this. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like in this in this moment, uh, Byron is, is at a pretty low point. He's probably not. Yeah. He's probably thinking like, oh, this is this is awful. This this just makes me feel like I've. I've stolen his power on top of stealing his life and, and, yeah. and all that. All, every possible way of, of, of flagellating himself with this new status quo. Um, but I think maybe someday he will come to see it as like a, a memento, a way of honoring his brother, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm choosing. And, and I agree with you that I don't think Byron is in the place where he could see that. Sure, definitely. But me in my comfy chair? Yeah, that's what I see. Yeah. So uh, Victoria goes looking for Torso, um, which injects a lot of fun into this in- this like intense battle because Torso is, is just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> she helps drag him out of this hole in the ground that he's just fallen into. Um, and then he agrees to her insane scheme of like basically just her throwing him at the Seamurg. Yeah. Um, as soon as she picks him up, though, we kind of get a sort of a sense of what his deal is. Like his center of gravity is all over the place and and he like accidentally knocks out her force field so hard it takes five seconds to come back anytime he just taps it yeah which which were compared to a hit from uh from scion yeah in strength yeah which yeah. is just insane yeah my my personal theory is that his power somehow manipulates like momentum or moments of inertia or, or something but i don't it's not that i need an answer for this but i did i did think it's like it's interesting how it, it's 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 such a unintuitive way of operating that it's not just like he's not he's not one punch man or something like it's not just a big a big punch it's doing something kind of deeper and more fundamental and and weird than that yeah yeah and we, and we don't get to learn anything about him yeah really but I can imagine this as pre trigger being like a like a really klutzy bull in a china shop dude uh-huh. <laughs> that like the shard is like oh I'll help uh-huh. um and this is this is what we get yeah I, this is. I think the closest we get to some just good old fashioned comedy beats in the chapter. And I really do like them. Um, I like her, her struggling attempts here. And, and it's the first time we see Victoria try to try to cocoon someone inside her force field. Um, which again, really doesn't work because torso. Yeah. Um, but I think it does like we carry forward this metaphor we talked about last week and we'll see used again with rain at the end of this chapter about Victoria just using her force field to just put the safety of everyone else above her. She's just, she's just not even concerned about her own, her own state right now. Right. She literally uses it as a shield for other people now. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, uh, torso ends up 
just kind of face planting. Um, yeah, I wanted it to work so bad, Matt. I yeah. really did. I wanted it to work so bad. Yeah, I, I, it is great comedy how it doesn't work, and then and then Torso just and just like kind of chases the Seamer on foot, even though he's not he's not giving up. Can't man. possibly reach her. I mean, he's yeah, the best. She's, he's, up, she's flying through the air. Yeah, he's he's the best, right? He's the best game. Oh, I love him. I love him so much. What a what a good what a good fun little character who like doesn't like doesn't matter to the plot too much but it's just flavor right it's just a flavor character and you need some of those absolutely yeah i agree so vicky offers uh, to help damsel tag team but once again uh, she's rejected yeah and i mean this is this is that moment that i think the chapter kind of builds to we start with that that look across uh across the battlefield where they she like sneers at her and i think that happens again later in the chapter and victoria is basically doing this thing where she has um where she has decided that she can't do anything and so the way she's going to help here is finding all the other big hitters and helping them do their thing and so she goes one by one starting with torso uh, that doesn't work out next is damsel uh that doesn't work out either um but uh, this is I, I feel like and again, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but I feel like this could be like the last opportunity for Damsel like to accomplish something mm-hmm. per- internally, personally. Right. Like she she doesn't just offer her help to do some damage here. She offers her a moment kind of to achieve acceptance in in her own way, like like recognize that you're standing in your own way, recognize that you're doing this to yourself, recognize that behaving this way makes you weak and just embrace all sides of you. And she can't, she can't do that. She's too concerned with making a difference on her own terms. So she chooses to be alone here at the end. Um, And I love Victoria's line here. It was just so fucking tragic that she stood at that crossroads and took this road. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, um, it really could serve this chapter could serve as the ending for her character. I'm not saying it yeah. will, but this idea that she refused Victoria's help here or, or not, not even help, but, but just, just cooperation. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, it, and, the, and was basically completely ineffectual. Like she didn't score a hit on the Seamark. The Seamark stayed away from her perfectly the whole time. And, and, and she, and at the end of this, you sort of see her realizing this, like she's standing by herself, realizing that she was ineffective. She didn't make yeah. a difference. Yeah, the text takes time to point out that she's alone. Yeah. She's at the end of this. The battle's over. She did nothing. She helped out. Not at all. In fact, she watched Victoria and a teammate do an awesome thing. Right. And was and did nothing. Right. Um, like like a, a thing where it's literally perfectly designed such that if she had been in Rain's place, she could have fucking blown away a huge chunk of Seamurg, if not the whole the whole being. Um, but it was rain instead, and so he just he scores a nice hit, but it's it's not nearly what it would be if it was damsel. So, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I mean, I, I agree that this could be the end, and I think the important thing about this is, and one of the things that I think we'll see repeated throughout these chapters is not every one of these characters is going to get like a satisfying oh look how much we've grown conclusion, right? This is about if this book is about recovery, some people, <clears throat> Chris, are going to fail to do that. Yeah. And and that has to be and and sometimes that's like it's a bummer because you like the characters and you want them to succeed, but it's just the truth of the matter. Yeah, I mean I, I think that's really interesting because like if you're sitting down to write a story and you're and one of your themes, one of the ideas you want to explore is recovery and and 
perhaps you have your own personal thesis of how recovery works and doesn't work, or, or maybe you don't necessarily have a thesis formulated already, but you want to explore how it works and doesn't work. Yeah. You have to have some negative examples. Yeah. It can't all just be a series of, okay, here's these characters and here's how they all struggle and then succeed because mm-hmm. like how you, how you stray from the path and how you mess up and how you fail, I think is just as valuable um, if not more valuable um, to understand and to write about and to read about than success stories. So totally agree. Totally agree. Much more cathartic to read the success stories, but very valuable to read the not so success stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're going to have a lot to say in that regard when we get to uh, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is also this moment here and I just want to bring this up because I kind of want to circle back around to this later in the show, but there is this moment where Victoria is kind of defending Swansong and defends Swansong's death here and says she went out peacefully, proudly in a damn cool way. Um, and I think that helps me, you know, get my head around Victoria's genocide plan. And again, we'll circle back around to this later, but the way she described Swansong's death, which I generally agree with, like, and I think we both kind of said her death was, um, like cool and, and while tragic, something to be proud of in the end. Um, but a lot of people didn't feel that way. I remember when that episode came out, we had some people specifically saying that, no, that's wrong. That's bad. That's like, this is, we're like honoring, like, personal sacrifice as like the most important thing. Um, and maybe we shouldn't do that so much. And that's that that's this bringing this up again here got me thinking about that, especially in regards to how Victoria formulates her plan and what those plans are going to be. So just bring this up now because it's brought up now in the, the chapter, but I want to come back to this before the end of the, the episode. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I think I see the connection you're going for, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, let's save that for later. Sure. So the Seamurg is getting more and more damaged as the fight goes on, which is obviously, you know, superficially great. But yet again, I, I still feel like, you know, this is like this body is almost just like a puppet. Like, what does this really matter? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, again, like this whole the whole plan they have is predicated on the theory that she actually does have to retreat if hit hurt enough which they don't know for sure. They just kind of, because they did against Scion, it's like a hypothesis that makes a lot of sense. Right. And it, and it ends up being sort of right, but they don't know. They're just having to act as if that's the truth. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It, it does feel kind of inherently helpless. Right, yeah. I love this moment where she flies over to um, Chevalier to ask him what she should do. And mm-hmm. he, he, sees, he sees the fragile one and he describes it as like you, but made of light, smiling as much as you are not. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. Yeah, I mean, we have to remember that historically when we have gotten a clean images of the faces of Fragile One, it hasn't normally been too happy. It's been angry, snarling, screaming faces, faces filled with rage and not anymore. Yeah. Calm, happy. Um, This could I mean, this could mean a lot of things, right? This could just be like Fragile One's having a really great day because it's achieved love and acceptance and and symbiosis with Victoria that it never has. Maybe it's just loving all this violence. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just really happy that they killed Amy a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I um, mean, yeah, I think I would say it's probably just happy that it's finally reached this this wavelength with her where they're they're really cooperating and and yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I, I. I don't know. I mean, it could it could turn out to be some terrible thing, but at this moment, I I'm like, oh, that's. 
that's that's nice. I think she's just really psyched about this whole genocide plan. I think she's just on <laughs> just on board. Yeah. yeah. We'll finish we'll finish this up and we'll get some genocide on. Yeah. Kill everybody. Right, let's do it. Yeah. I'll get the highest body count of any cape ever, which is <laughs> which is how the, the scoreboard works, right? <laughs> oh, oh gosh, terrifying. I think you know, right before we were recording, you joked about like how she's made of light made in like golden uh-huh. and of course we that's kind of there's connotations there for sure right yeah um, yeah good point i don't know um, i don't know yeah I, I continually like want to be really excited like we've talked about this so much before but I'm, I'm always like yeah this is great what happened here is great this 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 symbi- symbiotic relationship fucking great but then i'm always like is it though <laughs> like in the back of my head i'm like uh-huh. Is it though? I don't know. And, right. I, and this is like, I'm still not, I don't think I'm going to be able to let my, let this go until the book is over. And then I can be like, okay, yes, it was, or uh-huh. nope, see, it wasn't like, I, I, it's going to be, it's going to be the last word before I finally get to say that. I think especially like in the, in the way that we are forced to read, um, closely, uh, we, we mm-hmm. can't ever afford to assume, oh, that seems good. So it must be good. So sure, sure, sure. So um, Victoria notes that Byron just kind of leaps to obey Chevalier's orders and she decides that this means that Byron won't be coming back to Breakthrough and that that's good. Yeah, and I think this is like a a continuation of a beat that we had a little bit earlier, right, where she noticed he was standing closer to Vista and closer to that team than he was to to Breakthrough and them. And and I think when we first discovered this, you kind of were bummed about it, right? Like you, uh-huh. you read it as this really sad moment of, Oh, it's over. Um, Victoria was a little more positive on it. And here she's definitively positive on it. Have you changed on this? Are you, does it still bum you out that like breakthroughs over, um, that this is kind of goodbye to, to the bye? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know, sort of. Yes. I mean, I, I can I can see there being like a happy ending to the story where everybody goes their separate ways or some subset of people stay. I, like at this point, it just kind of seems like Sveta and Rain and and Victoria are the only ones who could even potentially still be considered breakthrough. And um, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. Well, they're all going to die in a yeah. few minutes anyway. I was going to so. say something like but probably at least one of them is going to die. So. No, but they're all going to die. It's a genocide. According well, to Vic's plan right now. Well, according to Victoria's plan right now, but but then that doesn't happen because... Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, but when I, she sees him going off and saying, oh, he's not part of my group anymore, and she's like, good, is that just like, yeah, you deserve to be with another group right before I kill you? <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think she's glad he's finding his own path because I don't think she sees like breakthrough as being a good place for him anymore i think she yeah. she thinks he's it, it was really trist okay in a yeah, certain it was sense never it was his thing yeah right in a certain sense it was always tristan who 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 thought like therapy group group is a good idea i should be in therapy group and byron i mean yeah obviously he got locked in in tristan's body for two months or whatever but he, I think, I think he could function well in the wardens. Like, I think, I think Byron is actually well adjusted for a cape, so I think he could function well. <laughs> I was gonna, I, I was hoping you were gonna add the for a cape there. That's, uh-huh. that's a pretty important clarifier. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So withdrawal saves the day uh, when a tinker laser gets grabbed by the Seamurg's telekinesis, 
and it's going to start lasering everybody. And he makes he uses his goo to basically make it immune to telekinesis. And, you know, it made me wonder if this Manton goo is going to play a further role. But I don't know. We'll see. It might. I don't feel like it. Like, I know technically we still have this, like, Chekhov's withdraw goo that almost won the cycle for for team good guys back forever ago. But yeah. this, like many of the moments in this chapter, this feels to me like one final moment for withdrawal and for the major malfunctions as a whole. Like this is, this is a shining moment to step into battle and do some great fucking work that saves lives. Um, I, I think, I think that's great. I think it's a great way to see his last battle moments and be like, you did good kid. You did good. Yeah. You were, were terrified. You struggled. Your whole life was a struggle. And in here, if this is the last, you know, cape moment we see out of him in this book is him stepping up and saving people here. Uh, I think that's a good place, a good place to, yeah. to end with it, him. It could very well be that. I mean, I just I feel like if you were going to use it in a climactic way at the end, then you would need to remind the audience that this character exists at about this point. But the thing is, you could say that about like 10 different characters in this chapter. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's I mean, but that's what I think the chapter is doing. Yeah. Like, I, I, I like that's why I feel like if the, if there is a, a more fighting in this story, which there certainly could be, I don't think it's going to be the kind of wide scale, like all the characters in the same room fighting that we're getting here. Yeah, um, that I think we're doing this for these characters and we're going to leave them behind. And if we do have some fighting with the Seamurg and with the Titans at the end, I think it's going to be, you know, not all the same people. Um, yeah, I think I think that makes a degree of sense. I can see it going either way, but I, I definitely see see your point that like I don't think this I don't think structurally this is going to be like like Worm was. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm remarkably unsure though. So yeah, I mean, I just I, I, it just feels intentional that we're getting all these like moments like we we just got we just got a final damsel moment it feels like we just and now we're going to move on to kid win and give him this final cool moment <laughs> like yeah. you know like it just feels like it yeah yeah I, I see what you mean yeah so um speaking of win uh earlier win had run off and, and now he returns with this like smaller version of wilson mounted mm-hmm. on his armor which then you know he uses to great effect yeah she, he just like yelled victoria your gun and she's like yeah and then so he just, uh-huh. just took it apart and used it. And Seemingly. It's great. I mean, it's great. It's a great moment for him. Like his tinkering, like he he takes dragon tech and just tinkers down a smaller version for himself very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> very it's pro- quickly. It's probably, probably modular and all kinds of stuff too. Yeah. 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 Um, when? So, I, I, won't call him, I won't call him a kid anymore. I he know. earned it. He earned it. This This moment was it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Victoria then goes to grab Rain, planning to use his make-anything-fissile power. She puts him inside the fragile one and then puts herself on the force field's back. And, um, you know, it seems like the Seamurg is going to to manage to stop them with this barrage of projectiles. There's this great moment between them where they're, they're like, oh, we did, we're not going to make it. Um, but then all their allies join in to deflect the projectiles and give them the shot. And Rain scores this really solid swipe, and then Victoria kicks the Simurg with her human foot, breaking her in half. And it's so awesome. Oh, it's so it's such a badass moment. And like we said, we've basically been doing this like Victoria flies around trying to find someone powerful enough to take down the Simurg thing. And torso, nope. Damsel, nope. Uh, Rain, Rain. <laughs> and it is such a bad. I love the writing here. I love. I love. 
like it's it's a really wonderful badass moment but wild Bo never shies away from showing us how much this is hurting victoria like just diving down threatens to rip her collarbone free the force of the kick when she lands the kick uh jolts reaching her ribs and collarbone making her vision split she couldn't see straight like she almost after she lands she almost passes out from the pain and is like barely managing to keep herself awake anymore like this is absolutely brutal and it's a really badass moment but she's like she's in such a bad place physically right now oh my god and she also breaks rain's hand yeah. this moment because his his hands like his hands is with his hand holding the blade is sticking out of one of the mouths uh-huh. of the wretch and it bumps up against the side of it and breaks yeah that's fucking that's, crazy that sounds that that's honestly the most painful sounding thing that's happened you know, in at least a chapter and a half. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like the idea that like his arm gets jarred inside this like invulnerable ring. So it just like snaps. Yeah. Um, That's, that's awful. You know, it's funny because this could very well be like rain's final moment of, of uh, achieving an awesome thing. Right. And it's, it's funny to me to remember that there was a point where I think I was convinced and it seemed likely that rain was going to, sort of get the cluster powers like he was going to end up like cradle was for a minute where he mm-hmm. he's supercharged and that never not only did that never happen but here rain's awesome moment is he's not he's not only not supercharged but he doesn't have any tokens he can't yeah, even throw the blade yeah, yeah yeah um and uh yeah and and, and he still he still is a fucking hero here um yeah and, and that's so rain though it is it is i mean it, for it yeah, for it to be the most useless power moment and be heroic, I mean, it relies on his team. It, it's it's Victoria and him working together. It is it is just a great, wonderful moment um, between between these two characters that you know didn't always get along. Like we talked about earlier in the book, how out of, out of any characters in this group that really bumped heads about things, it was Rain and Victoria, right? Mm. Like she would he would call her on her shit more than anyone else would. Um, and they would, they would bicker a lot earlier in this book and, and the two of them together here, um, doing this great thing, I think is really wonderful. Like this, this, do you trust me moment? And yeah. he's just like, yeah. And he breaks his arm and uh, like, I, I, you're totally right. That one moment where like he's in, he's inside the wretch. She's on top of the wretch and they're diving down and like, the entire room like becomes spikes pointed towards them. And she's just like, sorry, rain. Um, and he's like, no, it's fine. It's worth it. Fuck her. Um, Mm -hmm. and like, I don't know. It's, it's a beautiful moment of these two teammates that didn't always get along so well. And I loved it. Yeah, me too. Um, it's going to be one of those things where I think when we do reread this story, that's going to be something that's like stark in our mind, uh, Mm -hmm. reminding us where these two end up. Yeah. I mean, remember when she like, one of the first things she did is like spy on him because she didn't trust him. Yeah. And like followed him home. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> yeah. And we were like, ah, oh, this guy, this guy's going to be the one who, who's the bad one. <laughs> right. Uh, Oops. Yeah. yeah whoopsie. Yeah. yeah. So th- there is this point here, though, when, when Rain does say fuck her, where Victoria says she's not a her. She's not a person. She doesn't have feelings and she isn't fuckable. Not in the way where I can say fuck you and find a bit of strength in it. Um, and, and this is, again, I think a beat that we've had pretty much every single chapter where 
Victoria reminds herself and us that the Seamurg is not human. Um, that the Seamurg does that, that we are personifying a thing that is not a person. Yeah. Um, and she does it again in the next chapter when she's talking to Chris. And I mean, is this, do you think this is building to something? I don't know. It just seems like it's really standing out to me that we're just hitting this beat again and again and again and again. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a reason for it beyond just it, like, like why, why is she reminding herself of this? Because it's not really helping. Like, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't change her strategy. It just changes just her outlook. Kind yeah. Of in a way that's almost strictly pessimistic like like she keeps thinking like no she does she doesn't want things she's she's just like a force of nature and it's like these are kind of the kind the kinds of thoughts that the seamer would be putting in your head actually like yeah i mean they may be true but they're they're sort of defeatist and um i don't know it it, it is like victoria is unusually defeatist whenever she's thinking these thoughts so yeah well i, I mean we had the the key to victory against Sion was that little bit of humanity, right? True. Um, that little bit of of being human that they exploited to to uncover his weakness. And yeah. I feel like here at the at the end of this book, we're just constantly being reminded that this villain does not have that thing. Um, and I don't know, it just keeps standing out to me. And I haven't been able to be like, oh, clearly this is going to this. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, she. When when we're in the Seamurg's head, she clearly does have like a profoundly inhuman thought process. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. totally true. Like she basically, I, I don't remember if this is my head canon or if this is true, but <laughs> but my impression. Tell me if this is accurate or if I'm making this up. My, my impression sure. is that she only sees the future; she doesn't see the present, and so that's that's why she gets disoriented when her future side breaks down. Is she can only really act when she she clearly sees the future and is just doing the next thing that she knows is the right thing to do. Um, and that is really inhuman, obviously. But at her core, she does want things like, like she wants to she wants to create this certain outcome. She wants to to be ready when the entities come back in five billion years or whatever. Yeah, but um, I mean, this gets really shady with like what is what is personality, what is want versus what is programmed action right does she want that or is that just what she was created to do i mean yeah i i i hear you certainly um i think i think my my reaction to that would just be like it's it does kind of seem like the shards each have their own personalities sure and and they're they're weird and alien but she is basically a shard and that's i still don't know if i understand the endbringers full on she may not Um, she may not actually be a shard she may be like a a, a construct of the shards i'm not yeah i'm I'm not sure about that either but i mean she has powers she is powers i don't know it's it's interesting though yeah i I see the point of your question because like unquestionably shards have personalities and wants and desire and like and especially the more they hang out with humans the more that rubs off on True. them. Um, but yeah, like what are these end bringers unique in that regard or not? Uh, Victoria seems to think, yes. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, where this tangent is going. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know where this, uh-huh. uh, this line, this recurring beat is going either, but I thought it was worth bringing up. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to think of her as a shard without a human, without a host. And therefore there's going to be a lot less humanity to her. So. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So um, Victoria tries to, um, oh yeah. So for, for, first, you know, Victoria manages to get away um, after 
uh, splitting the Seamurg in half. Seamurg escapes with one arm and a head, but the heavy hitters all agree that it wasn't enough. She's going to survive, and they're all kind of despondent about it. Yeah, it's interesting the way it plays out, though, because legend, legend, the legend himself asks, uh, do we think that was enough? And Narwhal's just like, no. And then Resound is like, well, it's going to have to be enough. And Narwhal's just like, uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, it, it's really like the voice, the voice of denial and pessimism here is Narwhal. Um, and, and no one's like arguing with her, but it's just so funny that it's, it, it came from her specifically. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, bummer. I guess, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Victoria tries to convince Chevalier and Narwhal that they should go ahead with their plan of um, basically asking Fumehood and Dauntless to join Fortuna's network and strengthening her against the Seamurg. Yeah, yeah. So just so I think just to get on the same page about what's going on here, um, just to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. The plan was to hold off the Seamurg long enough to where she wouldn't be able to execute her plan to take over the network um, and take control of it, basically. Um, they think that plan failed. They they didn't do enough to stop her. So now they need to give the Fortuna network some more some more cards to play in the battle against the Seamurg. So they're like, OK, give her Fumehood and Dauntless, get her even closer to her goal quicker so that hopefully the combined power of it, of all of these things can hold off the Seamurg long enough to achieve Fortuna wins condition and then execute plan genocide. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, that seems to be what the goal is now. I think that's true. Um, yep. Yep. Except my (laughs) first thought is like, but if you're saying this right now, then probably that's what Seamurg wants. Sure. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Right. uh, Yeah. I find it very difficult to, to escape that conclusion Mm -hmm, personally. mm -hmm. Well, and here's a thing I want to zoom in on here something that Chevalier says here when they're talking about this plan, when they're talking about the allow the network to get closer to completion, Chevalier says, which makes it critical that one of our contingency plans works. Uh One of our contingency plans. And I think this reminded me that Victoria earlier did say that the wardens said they had some sort of plan independent of Victoria's plan. True. Um, That the Victoria's genocide thingy, they were like, yeah, as like a last, last, last ditch effort, Sure, we'll do that one. Um, but we have our own plan and we don't know what that plan is. Um, I mean, it's the warden. So like Eric probably came up with it or something. Uh-huh. Um, but <laughs> but I am very cu- like th- this this little line by Chevalier reminds us of that. And and the thing that's interesting is I think Victoria has basically decided that that her plan is the only one because she doesn't really treat that as a thing. It's it's one of the other characters that reminds us of it, not Victoria. So like even after her plan fails, she's not like, oh, well, good thing the wardens have a their own contingency plan to her. It's like this is my it was my plan or nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. Um, maybe, maybe there maybe she either doesn't know the the, the warden's plan. Um, they, yeah, they might not have told her. I mean, they have reasons not to, to trust Victoria. Yeah, <clears throat> it's, it's also possible that she knows it and doesn't like it for some reason. And yeah. I, I don't want to prematurely talk too much about the genocide plan, but one aspect of it is like Victoria, like I, I, I think the, the, the situation of the Seamurg taking over the world and putting everyone in, in a mental prison 
is so reminiscent of her time in the hospital that I feel like anything other than completely negating that plan is unacceptable to her. Like she, she would actually sure. rather die than be trapped in that kind of mental prison again. Sure. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of people would agree with that probably. Um, not all of them though. And I think that's yeah. kind of part of the points that Chris is trying to make in the next chapter. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Yeah. So let's, uh, I, that's good. I made that point for now. Let, yeah, we'll we'll yeah. get back to it in a minute. Um, yeah. So, uh, there's this beautiful moment where Victoria approaches a, the, the struggling Sveta, um, and catches her tendrils and then just kind of lets them hit her and grab onto her Yeah, and, and approaches her and, you know, calms her down. And I, I, I love that Victoria thinks of her as a mom again, uh, which is something that, uh, we, we know drives Sveta crazy to hear. Yes. Yes, um, it does. But, but, uh, I, I, Victoria, of course, doesn't say it, but she thinks it. And I, I thought it was funny. Yeah. And again, I love this moment too, Matt. I want to be just sunshine and roses from this moment, but I I can't help but be pessimistic here too. Like, I just don't know if the, like it's Victoria trying to go back to remember the time. Remember that, like, I know you feel like you're, you aren't in control right now, but I, I was here for you back then the last time you, if you felt that way and I'll be here for you now. And, and that's, it's wonderful and it's sweet and I love it so much. But then there's this moment of, can I, hug you and Sveta's response is can you and Victoria nods and then tries to and then her fucking collarbone is broken uh-huh. so it hurts like shit and so she doesn't she isn't able to give her a hug here uh-huh. um, she can't hug her and I, I, like again might be reading too much into this might be pessimism but I just see this as like a crack in their friendship that we don't end the scene with this beautiful hug or like a waggle like that we've seen between them so many times where she grabs one of the tentacles and does a little waggle and it's, it's all nice. Like we leave this as I tried to hug you um, and I couldn't. And then do you want me to carry you? And her saying, no, I'll be okay on my own. Just keep me away from rain. And it's just, they, they go towards the same direction, but apart from each other. Uh I don't know. I'm probably being too pessimistic, but I don't know, man. I'm just, I don't know. Really bummed. Yeah. I mean, they've had this moment of, of pain between them where, where Sveta felt mildly betrayed by her and and, and all that yeah. stuff, but like, I don't know. I I've I'm of the of the opinion or whatever perspective in storytelling that like one of the best ways to make, um, um, characters into make characters become closer is to give them adversity that pushes them apart first. Sure, um, sure. So that I mean that's it's not like this is my original thought. This is just like a trope. This is how every buddy cop movie functions. Yeah. Um, but um, so maybe that's all it is or maybe it's just like I didn't have the same reading you did. I, I didn't see it as like I just saw it as like the same rig is putting pressure on on them in, in their own unique ways. And that's manifesting as them pulling apart from each other in a time where otherwise they might be leaning on each other. And once they're away from the Seamurg or dead, um, it'll all be better. Sure. That that is I think that is totally fair. And I hope I hope to to God you're right. Um, I think I'm combining this with the the terror and frustration and anger that Sveta was feeling towards Victoria over the last six chapters. And then this moment of quote unquote betrayal um, combined with the shit that she's just gone through. And I mean, maybe this is less like Sveta's like 
I don't want to be friends with you anymore, Victoria, because I'm mad at you. And maybe it's more just like Sveta is just like resigned to be like, like, oh, well, I guess this is just not something I get. And I'm just going to go off on my own um, and be and be on my own for a while. And, uh-huh. and I don't know, maybe that could be good for her in the end. I don't know. But uh, I, I just feel like I feel like something is is not there there's something there that that was there before. There's something uh-huh. not there. It's the reverse of the Beauty and the Beast song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god! It's okay. All right. Uh, now I want to write that song. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And of course, we have to say goodbye to to Byron here too. Let's let's make sure we don't miss that because there's this moment when Rain says "coming" and Byron shakes his head. Uh-huh. I'm might too tired, worn out. Can you go on without me? Absolutely, I said. I looked at Vista. Look after each other, okay? And then they walked out of the story forever. <laughs> no, no, Scott, we'll totally see him again. That that, that didn't mean anything. You you can't <laughs> you can't. They're just having a chocolate bar in off screen, and then they're sure, going to sure, come sure, right sure, back. Sure. I mean, one of the things that we are doing really interesting here is is you know Victoria is kind of being separated from the members of Breakthrough a, a, a bit by bit, right? Lookout is gone now. Byron. Uh, is leaving breakthrough most likely like they might see him again before the end of the book but he's basically a, a, a warden now um ashley is gone and with with the damsel moment in this last book it just doesn't seem like D- damsel was never going to fill that hole in the group um just she just wasn't going to be able to because yeah. she's a different person but i think we're certain of that now um and so now we have our three remaining members of breakthrough going off to the wayward fourth member um, and then I think in the next chapter, we're going to further kind of break them apart a little bit. Character like Sveta leaves temporarily. She comes back, but she leaves. And then Rain leaves. Um, and, and Victoria is kind of like slowly breaking off of breakthrough. Yeah, that, I, I see the same thing as you, honestly. Uh, all, all joking aside, it seems like um, we're we're splitting down to, to fewer and fewer people. And I think maybe some of these people join up again later, but um, certainly not all of them, I would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Sveta like leaves and then comes back. So I'm not like saying this is like a clear, like, right. this is clearly what they're doing type of thing. Yeah, like, I, like, like this isn't the, this next chapter is not the last time we're going to see Cryptid. So, no. Um, so speaking of that, though, Victoria, Sveta, and Rain go off to find Cryptid, uh, who they do find, and he is conspicuously not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, he uh, waits till right as they walk around the corner to plunge a syringe into his neck. Uh huh. Um, and we're going to talk about that and all this other stuff next chapter. But we leave the chapter with he didn't make the thing he was supposed to make. Uh-huh. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> yes. It's shocking. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, overall, I feel like this is one of the most hectic and intense combat chapters in this whole book. Um, so really, we just try to kind of hit those character highlights. But there were like 100 small moments of, of like cool power usages that we couldn't actually talk about specifically. But, you know, shout out to those. Yeah, I mean, it, like literally just like the 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 movie of the scene would be just like a big old like Avenger style, like moving between the characters as they all have their one little moment. Um, and we didn't talk about all of them for sure. But you're right that there there's a ton of them. There's yeah, an absolute ton. Yeah. All right. Moving on into twenty eight dot twenty dot eight rather. So um, this is, you know, a great chapter. Um, the first few paragraphs. No. Si- what? Sorry. <laughs> just no, being sarcastic no, yeah, yeah. no it's a bad one yeah, no. it's a bad chapter no. it's awful right um <laughs> so the first few paragraphs of this awful chapter set up the atmosphere the darkened room 
the shadowed, glaring, monstrous figure of Chris in his in his lab rat body, um, flanked by TVs. All the TVs are showing Bonesaw in like a fisheye lens. So it's just this horrifying tableau. Um, I love it. Yeah, can we just read it? Like, I just want to read it because it's it. so good, and it needs to be it needs to be focused on. Okay. So it literally starts. Chris, cryptid, lab rat, stood opposite the three of us, slouched forward, guarded. The glare on his monstrous rat-like face a constant, with the lights partially off, likely because of the damage to the facility. He was mostly lit from behind. The source of that lighting was a dozen or so monitors spread around the lab that 20 or so individuals might use. Eight of those 12 monitors were showing images of Riley Davis, Bonesaw, most from a head-on angle, most shot from cameras small enough that the images had a fishbowl effect. She leaned towards the cameras while trying to make out details, which put her eyes at, at a level where the fishbowl effect magnified them wildly in comparison to the rest of her face. The rest of the screens I could make out showed what I imagined were regular laboratory readouts, graphs tables molecular chains it's it's so you're, you're absolutely right that it's so ominous and and horrifying like the, just it, he's he's backlit completely from the glow of screens um which means the details on, on his face are kind of lost in shadow but you can see still see enough to see it's rat like i love um the way in which victoria cycles through his names right chris cryptid lab rat um almost as if going from Chris, the teammate and friend, the the part of the group, cryptid, the villain cape who betrayed us, and then Labrat, the monster that he will si- simultaneously chasing and running from at the same time. Yeah. Um, and it's almost as like as she's processing what he said, she's moving him towards um, the worst possible version of himself away from the the version that she at one point in time like saw as part of the team and a, and someone to protect and someone to care for. Yeah. And she's parallels that with Riley Davis bone saw. Right. Right. Um, same idea of like at first thinking of her, of her as Riley Davis and then going in that slightly more sinister direction as she kind yeah. of realizes like, Oh, the situation is not, is not good. This is not what I thought I was going to walk into. Yeah. Because um, she doesn't quite know the scope of what's happening here. And she's just kind of processing what, so like, I think maybe in, in part of her mind that Riley Davis comma bone saw is like, they've both betrayed me. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and certainly the way the scene is set up, it's, it's, it kind of could look that way because bone saw's yeah, yeah. face is everywhere. Her eyes are creepy. She looks creepy and inhuman. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great visual, uh, image that, that carries a lot of like kind of dramatic information with it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I like how, so, so, you know, Chris isn't being forthcoming. Sveta says, this isn't the time to be cagey. And he replies, no cage or caginess, uh, which <laughs> is great because it's just like a reference to Chris's whole thing about being trapped, being in a cage. Um, this has always been his thing, like being paranoid about, about being in a cage and being observed and all this stuff. So it's yeah. like, like nobody here understands that that's what he means by that. But I, like, I think we do. So that's but all that do. matters. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I, I really love it too. Yeah. Um, so, and then Chris basically says, uh, well, uh, he says what we knew he would say because we saw all this play out already. Um, Seamurg's victory was assured. Everything has gone according to her plan. Uh, like, like she, like she intended, Chris mm-hmm. decided not to go with Victoria's plan and went with his own personal interests instead, his own insurance, as he calls it. Yeah. Um, and he, he says Victoria's plan requires him to have faith in everybody out there and he doesn't. Yeah. So I, I want to spend some time on this, Matt. I think we need to, I think we need to really sit with this for a while because 
I want to talk about like narrative satisfaction here Mm -hmm. and how this is like intentionally not that. Uh (laughs) So, I mean, because here's what happened here. The book told us what was going to happen. Point blank Uh told us what was going to happen. And then that thing just happened. Uh (laughs) Yeah, that just happened exactly the way it was. It was told to us it was going to happen. And normally in books, that's bad, right? Like in stories, like imagine a heist movie in which they tell you the plan and the plan just works. Right. <laughs> the end. Um, that, this is why in heist movies, the plan either goes awry or if the plan is going relatively well and then a little bit goes awry, there's always like a secret second plan that the characters know about, but the audience doesn't yeah. because that's narratively satisfying. This isn't. And, and I didn't like it. And I, I don't I don't like it. And I sat with that for a while. I think, you know, part of the thing you and I do and part of the things I try to do as a person that thinks about stories a lot is when I don't like something, I want to force myself to really sit with it and, and really examine why I don't like it. And 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 maybe is if there's a reason I don't like it, another angle to look at it. And like it <laughs> it's so interesting to me when I do that here because I, I was disappointed. I was just like, oh, so this is just this is just the thing that happened. It just happened. Uh-huh. That's disappointing. And 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 I don't want to use the word boring. That's I, I hate that word. But it's just narrative narratively unsatisfying because. Books, stories tell us if if the book tells you what the plan is, that's not going to happen. That something is going to happen. So you look at that and say, okay, something surely is going to happen here because they've told us what was going to happen. And, and it doesn't. And so it's not fun. (laughs) It's not fun. Right. But, but I want to take some time and think about, well, why maybe are we doing this? Why are we doing, why did, why did this book choose to do the narratively unsatisfying thing? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I have I have some thoughts. I can just kind of go in a direction and talk about how um, both you know, in the whole Parahumans saga, um, predestination and precogs have been a major concept. Sure. Um, I mean, in point of fact, Worm was about a, a precog predicting the end of the world. The character struggling the entire book to keep the end of the world from coming about and sort of failing. Like, like mm-hmm. they, they basically failed. They failed to stop Jack from, from instigating it. You sort of get the sense that it would have happened anyway. They only succeed in the sense that Zion doesn't, ex- doesn't succeed in extincting the whole world. So in that sense, there's a, there's a zag away from the, 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 the worst possible case. But I'm, I'm just bringing that up to, to say that this is a story where precogs and, working around predestination has been woven throughout it. We've had Contessa, we've had Contessa as a factor for, for, for ages, especially like in in this story, Contessa comes more to the foreground actually. And we had a whole arc that was basically this, this struggle of like, is Contessa, like, is this all part of Contessa's plan or like, like when she was asking for their input, was that just part of her plan or was she actually asking for their input? And it, it caused these very like fun kind of like loopy thought processes that were fun to talk through and fun to think through. And Mm -hmm. it's so so like here, what we have is sort of another example of this motif 
or or theme or or, or whatever it is this this conceit of we have a, we have a powerful precog we have a character who you know sort of metatextually knows what's going to happen next um and she has been established in the story as being so powerful that like there there is no outflanking her and and and, and of course of course this character this point of view character can't accept that because it's just mm-hmm. not in her nature and so she fights and fights and fights even as we the reader who have privileged information having seen the seamer's point of view we just see the cart going down the tracks it's just going down the tracks chapter after chapter and, and we keep thinking like well is this the point where it's gonna it's gonna get derailed is this the point where something different is gonna happen it doesn't happen doesn't happen doesn't happen and then finally we realize oh it of course victoria wasn't going to stop the seamer like you can't punch the seamer into into not getting her way sure, sure um so like the see that, that i think i think i that's just everything that i just kind of vomited out just now is how i process this element of the story and so to me it, it's somewhere between like um delightful in its surprising me and 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 like making me wonder like okay well I don't think the story is just going to end with the Seamerg flat out winning the end of the story. Sure, sure. Um, so so where do we go from here? Assuming you know, like like yeah, where do we go from here? Is kind of where I am now. I'm I've I've I'm fully bought into like okay I I get I get what was going on here. That's cool. That's fun. Now what? Right, and I'm I'm there with you too. Um, I'm there with you too, and and that's why I mean it, it, we have to remember that we're we're reading a book that's being written. Right. So like we literally don't know the answer to that question. And, and saying, I don't like this before you've seen where the final turn of it is always something that's bothered me. And so I don't like that. I'm saying it here, but I'm not going to lie. Right. And say like, no, I loved this. I loved this moment in the book. Loved it. I didn't, I didn't. And here, here's where I got to it. Um, here's where I got to it. This is a book about trying to get better about trying to recover, about trying to move past terrible things that have happened to you and terrible things that you've done. And this book has said over and over and over again, the way to do that is through hard work, like miserable times, moments that you feel like you're making no progress, moments you feel like that you're, you're taking four steps back for every step forward moments that you feel like nothing is working and it's never going to get better. And there are no permanent solutions to anything ever. And what's the point? And it's all useless and I hate it. And yet I still strive forward. That is what every single character in this story has done. That has made any kind of forward progress. Chris hasn't done any of that shit. He just hasn't done it. Everyone's called him out for that constantly. Kenzie called him out for that point blank. And and what happened was the book set up a moment to where Chris was going to have this magical turn at the last minute because narrative rules, quote unquote, (laughs) say that he is going to. If you have a plan in which Chris is going to do the shitty thing and you tell your reader that plan, then no, certainly that can't happen. Certainly that is not going to happen. But in order for that to work, the story would have to betray one of the fundamental truths that it has been set out to do all along. It would have to give Chris this miraculous turn into recovery 
that he never earned Mm -hmm. because he never spent the time and he never worked for it. And so like it kind of tricked us a little bit there because we see this moment and we're like, of course, of course, Chris, this is it. This is his moment. But he didn't earn that moment. He never earned that moment. And and I'm not saying that the book is done with him. And I'm not saying that the book, there might not be a moment in the future where he um, maybe like starts to maybe take baby steps towards acknowledging his shit and working towards fixing it. But he hasn't done that yet, ever, ever in this story. He's always chosen the selfish route. He's always chosen the safe route. He's always chosen the route that requires the least amount of risk to him. Um, and so, and so it would be a betrayal of the story, um, without, if, if he had just, if, if, if the thing that we narratively expected to happen actually happened. And so I still like, I still look at this and I'm not like, this is my favorite moment in the story. Absolutely. That, that it is not. It is not. But looking at it from that angle, I'm like, of course, this is how it had to happen. And we were just kind of duped by narrative rule. And I'm saying that in quotes because there are no rules, right? It's, right. it's guidelines, whatever. Um, we were kind of duped by that to think that there was, this was going to be some miraculous moment um, that, of course, of course, it was not going to be. Of course. Yeah. Right. That, like there was the there was the capacity for it to be like, oh, he's going to use his bird form and then he's going to be able to hoodwink the Seamurg. Right. But um, doesn't seem like that's the case. And, and like you said, like if if he were to just suddenly do that at this point, I, I think that I think that there's a big risk that we wouldn't buy it. I don't think it I don't think I don't think it would necessarily fall flat because we have had these moments where Kinsey gives him a telling off. Um, we, we have this moment right here where Victoria basic. I mean, I'm skipping slightly ahead, but Victoria basically gives him a hug. And and it's and like like every once in a while, there's a moment where it kind of seems like something got through to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I can see a scene where all of that culminates in a moment of breakthrough for him. So that could work. But I think like this was not that moment. And and, and we should like like you kind of said, we should feel a, a little bit of like, ah, yep, yeah, we like like no, no way. No way should we have expected him to to rise to the occasion here because he's not up to it. He's just not yeah, up to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think this is a moment designed to be satisfying. And that's kind of the main point yeah. I have here is that I think we're supposed to feel a little like, oh, OK. Yeah. Huh. Well, now what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely like it's it's all like on, on top of what you just said. And and the thing is, what's interesting is I, I think you might have a more of a more of a felt. I don't like this. I have more of a felt, huh, where, where are we going with this? Mm-hmm. Um, because there is a big anticlimax on top of everything you just said. Basically, like, like we just, yeah, we got her. We got the Seamurg. And then we come into this situation and Chris is saying stuff like, what you just did is pointless. You're playing into her hands. And and you're like, no, fuck you. But also, he has a good point. <laughs> sure, so, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's, I think we can go through the, through the beat by beat and with with that kind of prefacing it as a as sure, a way of structuring sure. it. And, and I and I feel the need to say here, as much as I didn't love that moment very much, I find the this conversation incredible. Like yeah. I love every, all the minor beats of this conversation. I, I I absolutely love. Yeah. Um hey as a side note before we move on though, he says Victoria's plan requires her to have faith in everyone. His doesn't. And that's why he doesn't 
want to do it because he doesn't have faith in anyone and she thinks it's stupid. Why does her plan require her to have faith in everyone? I don't know. Like, like maybe, maybe if she had gone ahead with her plan, um, is they, she going to ask them permission before she does it? Yeah. Or, or like basically give them a chance to, to opt in or opt out maybe. Yeah. Um, and right. then a lot of people would opt out probably. Yeah. Like, cause if it, if it really was a last ditch thing and it's like the choice between, um, this horrible outcome or the Seamurg horrible outcome, a lot of people might choose this one. But I think Chris maybe, I think probably rightly realizes that most people would not bite this bullet. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I think the end of this chapter like validates that. Yeah. I think everybody on breakthrough has enough experience with like fates worse than death that, that maybe, maybe many of them would go, go through with it. But I think mm-hmm. the average Cape is not fully on board with that quite yet. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. So, so Chris first goes through his thought process of, and like how he would keep himself insulated and how he could just go off by himself and not be bothered and play video games or, or so he thinks. Um, and you know, maybe bring, bring along some particular chill people like, uh, like bone saw, for example, if he wants company, man, the thing that I will always love about Chris conversations, and I'm not even quite sure how Wildbo does this, <laughs> but it's all a bunch of bullshit and it always comes through as a bunch of bullshit. Like I don't, I don't really get mad at Chris <laughs> because whenever I read him talk, I'm just like, dude, you just you just suck. You're just, you're just making me sad. Like you just like, it's, you're so transparent. You're just making me sad. And I know I've said this before and it's because it always remains true. Like it is so to me, transparently like, like weak and pathetic, like, and it just makes me sad for him. He's yeah. a kid. Like, like, look like a world where nobody bother me and I can read books, comics and catch up on old games for as long as I want. Okay. Are you five, <laughs> uh-huh. Are you five years old? Yeah, right. kind of. He's well, like too. But he's like but but like I think I think what's what's fun about Chris as a character, as a creation, is that like he's a mix of complete blindness to himself, like complete lack of self introspection. Yeah. And yeah. and then also having a lot of smart and correct things to say. Yes, yes, that's the that's the it's lovely. Like Yeah. Like they're they're calling him out and is like, no, you can't live by yourself. That would drive you insane. He's like, like the people you sent off to the prison world. And I was like, fuck, that's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's yeah. Right. Like we just said, he his 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 sense of who he is is so so skewed and and basically Victoria is right about him, mm-hmm. and he is right about what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But, but he's wrong about himself. Right. Um, right, right. And it's, it's this great dynamic. I, I think we do have to just give Riley like a, a pat on the back here though. I mean, like Chris basically says, I all, if I get lonely, I could like make someone like Riley immune and she could come join me. And then we could just be cool monsters reading comics together. And Riley's like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Like no way. And if you threat, because you threatened me that I might come after you after the end of this thing um and it i will i like i i think she's something the effect of like she's done like fighting between being a monster or not like she's just she's just done with this whole thing yeah Um, yeah right and i I like that moment where he 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 like considers it and 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 he's like well could could be interesting and it's like i wonder if if he kind of had some specific fantasy about like going off with bone saw and then being friends and then she just kind of dashed that by responding mm-hmm. this way. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and him being sort of 
disappointed by this, but but covering it because he has he does have this moment where he like processes that, which yeah, I, I, well, lo- I loved. Yeah, because it's he's covering everything. Like that, this whole conversation is him covering himself and trying to hide the way he feels. Yeah, re- like the way he really feels about things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really adore this bit where Chris talks about how awesome Labrat was and how <laughs> awesome he Chris is. And Sveta's like, you got caught, you got out by luck, and then you died. Sveta said, Chris, <laughs> you're not that clever or good. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, I mean, she has she has a point too. Yeah. Is, is it like as he is smart, and he does have insight into things that other people don't. Yeah. But he's not as he, he's not as smart. He's not as good as he thinks he is too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um. I, I, on the one hand, I purely enjoy this sick burn, but on the other. Um, yeah, Chris has a point. Like he, he's, he, he is strong enough to make the giants, uh, with the help of Amy, who is yeah. actually really, really strong. Yeah. Um, and, and his argument that the Seamurg is going to win, you know, that, that, that their perception of having almost beat her just now is a ruse. Um, that's something that we argued last week. Yeah. So. Well, and, and he's making this argument that the only certain thing that is the Seamurg is always going to be five steps ahead Right after the book has literally confirmed that the thing the Seamurk said six chapters ago, eight chapters ago is happening exactly the way she said it was right. Yeah. Like that's that's the cleverness of the way Wild Boa set this thing up now is because he's they're arguing against the Seamurk's ability to be right about certain things. And we're in a world in which she was 100 percent right about him. Yeah, it's all 100 percent true. Yeah. And that's what's so great about this this conversation. I absolutely think this is like Chris's moment of ultimate failure here. Like I think he rejects himself, he rejects the the hands that people are offering him, he rejects everything and he falls into the same trap he's always fall, fallen into. But like you said, that doesn't mean he's wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. He can still be right about certain things while still also being a giant asshole. Yeah. I think that's one of the appealing qualities about him like if he was just wrong on top of everything else then we'd just be like god fuck this guy yeah yeah um, yeah so uh sveta threatens him and he reveals his countermeasure to sveta which is a syringe that can fix sveta and give her a body with no caveats um and he, he, even getting rid of her cauldron tattoo which is a, a little a little a little uh cool idea of, of like um <sighs> Like Sveta, if I recall correctly, went out of her way to keep the cauldron tattoo. She did. She did. Yeah. And and the idea that like, yeah, this is going to purge. This is going to purge everything. You're going to get a, a totally new body. It's going to even give you new skin. You're not going to have the tattoo anymore. That's that's speaks to me of like Chris's sort of outlook where he wouldn't see the point of keeping the tattoo. Sure. He, sure. he, he wants to be rid of that. Yeah. And he doesn't understand. Yeah. And, and on the one hand, this is like so cruel that he could that he's going to tempt her with this and and try to manipulate her with this. But also hey, that's nice. Thanks. Thanks uh-huh. for making that. Of course, uh this syringe doesn't make it out of this room unfortunately. No, so. of course it doesn't. Yeah. Of course it doesn't. But I want I want to circle back around to that in a minute here when we talk about the fact that this whole this whole confrontation is staged. Yeah. Because it is. Uh-huh. So yeah. we're about to we I think we're about to get to that. Yeah. Um yeah, so so Victoria thinks to herself that um, she she could go and maybe should go tell the wardens that this part of the plan fell through, but she doesn't want to uh, because she doesn't want to concede mm-hmm. and like she just she she wants to win the argument. That's 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 why she doesn't leave. And I yeah, think that yeah. that's that's the great thing about this dynamic between 
Chris and Victoria um, is that Chris also wants to win the argument. Like that's the only reason he's still here, right? He could have left. He could have just not been here when they got back. Yep. But, but he stayed and he waited for them because he wants to have it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it is fascinating because what Chris has done here is basically called Victoria's bluff and said like you and or the wardens will not go forward with your plan knowing that this that I've taken this option off the table. You won't have the guts to do it. And almost by saying that and 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 Victoria's desire to win like forces her to say, no, we got to we got to do this. We got to go forward with this plan, even though we don't have a win condition. Yeah. <laughs> and we just got to hope we find one before that. We've got to keep going forward. We can't go back. Um, and, and I think you are 100 percent right about he waited for them like he could have slunk out the door. He could have changed into the, the bird thing in some other room where no one would see him and flown away on his own, but he didn't do that. And it's because he wanted this confrontation. He wanted to prove that he was right and he wanted to prove it to himself. Um, and he wanted to prove to himself that he didn't care about these people. He wanted to look at these people and hurt these people and, and prove that he doesn't actually like them. He doesn't actually need them. And he wants them to hate him because he wants, because he hates himself. He wants people to hate him. And that's why he's arranged this whole thing. And it's, it's again, it's so transparent. It's so like that. This is he's like by challenging them. I think Victoria is kind of feeding into exactly what he wants here um, because he wants to have this argument. He wants to be yelled at. He wants people to tell them that they hate him. He wants them to say, you're a monster. He wants all these things. It's exactly what he wants. Um, because that's why he's doing this. Or that's part of why he's doing this. Yeah. To prove to himself something. Right. It's like it, what's interesting is I'm not sure whether he wants to win the argument or whether he wants someone to finally show him why he's wrong. Sure. Like, 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 does he want to be proven right or it, it, does he find it unbearable to, to believe that he's right and he wants someone to prove that he's wrong, but he just can't escape uh, he can't escape the feeling that he is right because th- this is kind of the cage that he's trapped in. Yeah. Well, that's the cage that he's trapped himself in and he's rejected any chance at a key, uh, constantly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like that. Um, so Sveta, um, barely manages to, uh, hold on. Sorry. I think I scrolled down too much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he reveals his new bird like body, which he's been transforming into, um, and, and he talks about how he, he can actually do permanent transformations. He just yeah. never has before. And he says this new bird body he has is him forever. Yeah. And I, I love how he describes this too, because it was always possible. I just didn't because I hadn't decided on one. I needed to decide on a new baseline body and the original lab rat never could decide in that. At least I'm different from him. This is me now forever out of her reach. And I just love that. Like he constantly compares himself to lab rat, both celebrating the ways in which he is exactly like him. And also like, like patting himself on the back of the ways in which he is different or better than lab rat. But yeah. like, he didn't really choose here, right? Like he didn't decide this is what I want to be. And so I am going to be this forever. This is a choice via necessity. He needs to be the bird form because the bird form is the thing that protects him. Like this is not him finally discovering who he wants to be. This is just another thing to protect himself. Another, another form to, to cage himself off from the rest of the world. 
and he and he almost immediately injects himself with Sveta's syringe, right? Right, right. Which is another permanent transformation syringe. <laughs> yeah. Meaning this form is no longer his permanent form, unless I'm misunderstanding how this works, which could be possible. Yeah, um, no, I, I think it. Yeah, I, no, I think he he loses the bird form. He loses this permanent form. Yeah, and then he's like, "I'll so. I'll I'll fix it later." <laughs> and yeah, and leaves, yeah. and you're like, okay. "He's got like fucking ten minutes left." But well, yeah. yeah, no, I'll I'll. Sh- you think I'm scared? You think I'm scared? Right. I mean, yeah, it's Chris, funny because because like he basically, <laughs> yeah, like he does it. He does it just to the sort of as a fuck you, and it's like, but you've right. just you've just lost it. But, yeah. Um. Uh. So at this point. Sveta barely keeps herself from throttling him, and the only reason she doesn't is because she doesn't want to betray another so-called teammate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so-called teammate. Uh-huh. I, I do like that this kind of highlights exactly what the Seamerg was doing to Sveta the whole time. Like we never really heard about this very specifically, but like, yeah, I mean, this is these are the, these are the buttons that the Seamerg was pressing, like recreating all these moments for her uh-huh. again and again and again. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, speaking of recreating moments like that, I like the moment in here somewhere where uh, where Victoria's like, oh, my God, she fucking got to you, um, mm-hmm. which is exactly right. Um, but Victoria's like, not, not. Or Chris Nuh-uh. is like, not. Yeah. Yeah. I thought of this all on my own. Right. Yeah. I, I'm I'm the smart one here. You're all yeah. the puppets. Right. <laughs> um, so Victoria suddenly, while thinking of alternatives, um, remembers that she may or may not have crushed her sister with a piece of concrete. And she's very, very confused, feels like it could have been a false memory. It's it's a moment of like horror for her. Yeah, um, I, this is really interesting, right? Because I think we talked about this moment last week and we were kind of trying to like get our head around what is actually literally happening here because it's like the scene plays twice back to back. Right. And so like did did she fly twice and is just like being tricked into seeing these things the whole time? Was the whole thing a memory implant was part of it, a memory implant. We're not really sure, but here she doesn't even seem to remember it fully. Right. Yeah. Like she's just like, I think Amy was here. What did I, what happened? Did she get, and so she like, sh- we remember these things cause we read them. But I think what, what wild Bo is trying to do is show us here is that to, to Victoria, this is all kind of, blurred together into something that is not whole and not a clear picture yeah i feel like maybe she was sort of stunned when that happened like like Mm -hmm. she had just been knocked out of the sky and so her her recollection of it and plus it was in the middle of a a fight and she maybe didn't fully process it but like yeah um, yeah yeah, she's not she's not she's really not sure what happened there yeah yeah um so yeah um i uh i like the I, i just love this quote from chris though um being mind controlled in a fucked up society driven by even more fucked up systems, I've endured that ever since waking up on the eve of gold morning. Implanted instincts until I reached a lab where I was forced to fill my head with the original lab rats' memories and experiments. Two years, pretty much, all while this city pretended to be functional. And you know, it's great because like that's a great line. Like that's one of those mm-hmm. like the worst person you know just made a great point lines. <laughs> it um, is. It is. And the team, the team does clap back. Like they they have they have a good rejoinder to it too, where where they're like, look, we've all been through the kind of shit that you're talking about. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's just, I, I, I think a great way of doing storytelling and doing character conflict is having all of the characters have their own perspective, which makes perfect sense to them and is actually a good argument. Yeah. And, yeah. and while Chris is full of shit in certain ways, like he, 
his perspective makes such a degree of internal sense that I found myself nodding along to a lot of the things that he said. Yeah, I think it's the the Aaron Sorkin thing that he tried and didn't always succeed to do in the West Wing, where he really honestly tried to give legitimate arguments for and against certain policy positions on the show, uh-huh. uh, even though it was very obvious like which one he supported. But he did try again. He's not perfect. He doesn't right. do a great job always, but he did try to outline the legitimate opposition position um, in a way that is well argued and makes sense. Um, and I feel like that's what's going on here as well. I do agree with you because, yeah, I mean, like there is there is an argument here that like, like, look, like this thing that the Seamurg is maybe going to do to all these people is the thing that some of them have already been going through. And like, it's true that every single member of breakthrough has gone through like being mind controlled and treated like shit and thinking the future is hopeless and there's nothing, there's nothing like worth fighting for him. And this is a cycle we're never going to be able to break out of. Like, I, I do think that the Seamurg's version of that is going to be worse. Uh Definitely. Um, but, a lot of people have been living in that kind of hell already. Uh huh. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so like to, to put this up, at, up against the argument of, well, if we all die, we can stop it. And some people are like, well, that doesn't sound different than my normal Tuesday. So I'm going to choose the not die option. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's selfish. It certainly is selfish, but I, I get it. I think that the upshot is, um, Walking away from this conversation, I'm legitimately like, obviously, I'm not sure I'm not sure who made the right choice. I'm still not like, obviously, Chris is like the antagonist and and we we know that he's kind of dumb, but like, or not not dumb. That's the wrong word. Like, we know that he deludes himself, but I still don't know that he was entirely wrong to have aborted Victoria's plan here. Like, like the chapter I'm jumping ahead a bit, but the, the chapter kind of ends with Jessica being like. Uh, you were just gonna kill everybody. Well, that's that's a that's that's kind of a big decision to make. And 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 her response is like, well, it was a big choice of him to make to condemn the human race to this suffering, uh, you know, this this endless suffering. And and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's as slam dunk of a rejoinder as you think it is, Victoria. Like like both of those things sound really bad in ways that I have a hard time balancing out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that proves her point at all. Um, and that's the interesting thing. And the thing is that Chris never frames his argument as, well, genocide is wrong. Uh-huh. And that's why I don't want to do it. Like, that's never his argument. And I don't I wouldn't believe that as an argument from Chris. But I True. I think he like without saying it does get like does not like directly challenge that idea, but does with with this argument here, like it's not going to be so bad of the seamer. Like, this is how I've lived my whole life so you're telling me that i should like sacrifice myself like to stop this from happening this is my life and and like we've all we've all like existed in hopeless times where like the world is out to get us um and 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 we've made it through like i can recall the very the very therapy session where you said it felt hopeless rain but you kept going like this idea that well yeah like the seamerg world might be terrible but just keep going, man. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, I, I find it hard to believe that because like, she's going to drive them all insane. Yeah. It, it implies like a lot of the stuff that Chris says is sort of like, you don't know that. 
Right. Like, like, like he, 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 he sort of pretends to have this level of insight into what the Seamer's plan is going to be. Right. That is just unjustifiable. Yeah. He says something to the effect of like, for two generations, it's probably going to be fine. Right. Um, and of course, we know that like 30 years from now is when one of uh, a, a castle full of of antichrists is going to is going to be born. Uh-huh. So like I think he's might maybe off a little bit on his generational guesses there, but um it, it is an interesting point. Yeah. And 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 yeah, I I don't, I I am disappointed in Chris. I think he chose the selfish thing and I'm like I'm really I my optimism for Chris is non-existent anymore, but I do like I do think we're in this weird place where I'm like Maybe I'm kind of glad that he did it, though, <laughs> which yeah. is a weird place to be in. Right. Well, it, I agree. There's a I'm I'm so confused between between who made the right call here. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, you know, we, we said earlier that this is mostly a talking chapter. It's not really true because Sveta uh, grabs him at one point and, and then Chris tells her Chris tells Victoria here that she and Amy deserve each other. And Victoria immediately tries to kill him. Yeah, but, but, yeah. but his new form is like fast and strong and, and he knows how to fight her. He knows he knows the weaknesses of the force field and he just kind of easily deals with it and then closes the distance with her. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I love that moment where it's just like she says just as easy of a thing as like like pulling a trigger or yeah. having a thought. But that thought this time is attached to a lever. Yeah, um, I, I, I love that. Like, I think it's really cool and, and terrifying that like and it, it almost to me like proves his point a little bit yeah. <laughs> like he, he's trying to like he says before is like you guys can't get over your shit and like he's like oh you think you're better than me you've gotten so much better you've made so much progress you still you still can't get over your shit and here let me prove it to you you're you and your sister deserve each other and then bam attacked and yeah. it's like oh well point proven <laughs> uh-huh. or at least he, and, he would think so right yeah yeah i think he's wrong in that yeah. yes but i think t- in, in his mind that's like ah proved my point Gotcha. Which, which again, like this is one of the things, this is one of the reasons he wanted to stick around is is to to like poke and prod and get reactions from people to kind of reassure himself that, that he, he understands the world. He's right. And and they're wrong. Um, but Mm -hmm. you know, the skirmish here, um, I, I love this because like she, she attacks a couple times. The second time she attacks, she's like overlapping with her force field in such a way that, um, the, the basically it's, it's, she intends it to be confusing to him because one attack is coming from her, her force field and one is coming from her. And she describes it as the wretch fragile, but strong me broken, but resilient. Yeah. And I love yeah. that. I love that description. I love, I it, love every word in that sentence. It's perfect. Yeah, it's, it's so good. Fragile, but strong, broken, but resilient. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. So the skirmish ends with her gripping him in a bear hug, uh, but very weakly because her, her injuries have caught up with her. She's just yeah. she's she's at her she's at the end of the line here, like blood loss and pain. Um, and she's holding this the syringe with Sveta's fix, and he just kind of defiantly takes it and he injects himself with it and turns back into a kid. Yeah, she basically defeats him by doing that thing that like boxers do when they're exhausted, or uh-huh. where they just like lean on the person so yeah. they can't punch them. Um, I, I like like we already talked about the fact that Chris is the one that ends up doing it to himself. It's so good, Matt. It's like it's just the exact kind of thing you would expect from him where he gets so caught up in proving that he's correct and proving to himself that he's not scared, that he's confident, um, that he takes away the one card he had to play. Uh-huh. Um, and because now, yeah, now he's not immune to the Seamurg anymore and the clock is ticking like 
is he going to have time to mix up a new batch of whatever that shit was before all this goes down? I don't know. It could happen any minute now. Maybe not. And he's just like, you think I'm scared? Do you think I'm surprised? And Well, yeah, because like the moment when Victoria attacked you, you started saying, what are you do?" And yeah. then you stopped talking because you're focusing on fighting so much. So, yeah, I think you were a little surprised there, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I kind of want to read the whole, the whole thing that she says to him here, Do because it. I feel like this is one of those moments of like the, the book telling us what the book is doing. Do it. So he says, she says, it's reality, Chris, you've been struggling. You've been inconsistent fighting yourself every step of the way, fighting the fat, the past version of you, the you of now, when you're acting young, you hate it because you're not young. Not really. When you're acting older, you hate it because it makes you like him. But every time you have the chance to make a move or blame someone or make some sense of it, you turn on others, blame them, and throw up walls. And you don't, he asked. Boundaries are great, Chris. They're essential. This world can be fucked up. So, yeah, use whatever defense mechanism you've got at your disposal. Some are better than others, but anything is better than having none. Except... You've thrown up those boundaries, built four walls, impenetrable, so high nobody can surmount them. You've still got to be okay with yourself. I don't think you are. I think you're the furthest thing from being okay with yourself. Mm-hmm. I think we've kind of moved on from just this general idea to, of acceptance to a more specific idea of self-acceptance, mm-hmm. right? That the most important thing is that you accept yourself. Um, and, and we've talked so much about, you know, community and cooperation and teamwork and how the people that you surround yourself with, you can lean on and, and, and take strength from and, 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 uh, support. I mean, that was, that was the idea of group therapy in the first place. Um, but it's, that's all anchored with this idea of accept yourself, love yourself. Um, and that is, that is what Victoria achieved. Um, and that is what Chris cannot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she says to him, like she says to him in, in the straightest possible terms, like, hey, the, the way I made this breakthrough is I is I realize that I'm worthy of love, even mm-hmm. even as I am now. And he and he responds with like typical dismissiveness and sarcasm. And yeah. and she's like, he says, what does he say? Like Saturday morning cartoon something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And. But that that's 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 him sort of almost I think di- distancing himself like he he doesn't want to even go in that direction yeah it, it's it's not a serious dismissal so much as like a uh I'm afraid of, of looking that way almost yeah um, well he's a he's a person torn in two like so many of the characters in the story are right he's yeah. got he's got these two warring sides of him that he just cannot get straight yeah and, and um he he like we said, he hasn't put in any of the work necessary to do that. So, um, he, he again, can't do it. He can't listen to what Victoria has to say here. Yeah. But it's great though, because I I feel like on some level this did get through to him because, um, he's quiet. He lets her say all this. He he does give his shitty, shitty little interjections, but he, he, he walks away from it and you feel like he has to process this. And also it's a great scene because visually, like as she's saying this, she is, hugging him basically i mean it's not Mm -hmm. like a hug of comfort but she is she has her arms wrapped around him in a bear hug and and like the the visceral you know the intensity she's putting into her words like it just has to sink in um i mean i think it's it's cool because like he's already made his decision he's already fucked over their plan 
But now at this point, even though it's sort of too late and Victoria should just walk away, like like she should give up on him, right? She hasn't given up on him. She she has she has come. She has grabbed him, and she's gonna tell him this. This is the last time, maybe. But she's gonna give him this piece of her mind, and then we'll see how he reacts to that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I think that the cool thing about that is she's not the only one too, because Rain is here still, and mm-hmm. and Rain says, I think this seamer driven future might not be so bad for the rest of us. Really, Rain? Uh, but it's going to be a kind of hell for you. Worse than any fire or brimstone hell the fallen preached at me about. Shitty thing is, even though you betrayed us twice now, I don't want that for you. I'm having trouble letting go of you as a friend. Um, and, of course, Chris is like, I, you, I let go of you as a friend a long time ago, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Um, and that's something we didn't talk about, too, when he's, ta- when he's like singing praises about himself in his lab rat days. He goes, the closest person I had to a friend in there was... I was like, whatever, man, you've had friends. Stop, stop pretending. Yeah. You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> right. And he's talking about uh string theory, right? Yeah. 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 Which is great because, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a perfect callback to make at this point where he's yeah. like, you know, you know, we were really friends, but yeah. I, I really loved Rand saying that, like, I'm having trouble letting go of you, a friend. Like, they don't, they don't want to give up on this kid. That's because they can see through his bullshit because yeah. it's really transparent. It's right. the same reason why I can't hate him, even though I am so disappointed and my optimism for him is gone. I just can't hate him. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris Bales, uh, Victoria decides they're not going to tell the wardens about this. They're mm-hmm. going to let Fortuna gain the power of Dauntless and Fumehood. And yeah. uh, Rain and Riley are actually cool with that. So. Cool. What is it we talked about on Kingslingers this week about how characters hiding things from other characters is almost universally like a bad, uh-huh. a bad idea? <laughs> yeah. Of course, it turns out not to really matter because very yeah. shortly after this, it's sort of uh, made into a non-issue. That is very true. That is very true. Um, I do like as Chris leaves. I love this. Chris still shedding fe- feathers, becoming a child again, walked past me. And that's so like that's so charged, man. Like becoming a child again. Like, yeah, ugh, I, I love, love that. that. Too. Yeah, yeah, that really jumped so out to good. me for sure. Yeah. Um. So then they go to look for Sveta, who has she she left earlier. And I think it's interesting because. Didn't she leave the room before they use up her syringe? Uh, yes. And I was just thinking, like, Wait, is that going to be an issue? I don't I'm pre- know. That's I'm pretty question. sure she wasn't in the room when they when when the when he used that syringe. Yeah. Now it did already kind of seem like she had rejected the offer, but it did yeah. I just I just noticed that like, I f- yeah I don't know. So they go, yeah, they go looking for uh, Sveta. Vicky kind of collapses on the stairs. Uh, Jessica and Sveta arrive and they tell her that Amy was injured by falling debris. Uh, But like, you know, after Vicky left. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. So it's exactly the way you saw it in your your um, image. But like, don't worry, because it wasn't you. Yeah. It was just some other debris that just happened to fall, which is very possible. Like the thing I love about this is like. She says Feta is like so convincing because she knows exactly what Victoria is thinking. But then she's like, um, I'm not sure I can believe that. Yeah. And that is like we have no idea if that inability to believe it is like something she's seeing on Sveta's face or if that is just wholly coming from herself. I think it's probably more likely the latter. Um, that's like that's just her. But then she's like, doesn't matter. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter. Um yeah, it's a great it's a great signifier of where her head's at at this point. Would be sort of delightful if the book ended without us actually getting an answer to this question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like 
I think someone in Discord said this, but like, yeah, just because Vicky wasn't around when the debris fell doesn't mean her force field couldn't be true. Yeah, like maybe one of the versions of her that 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 made a choice was her body, and the other was was the, her force field. I don't know. That's not. Yeah, how, that's fl- not. She flew away, and the force field yeah. just went. Oops. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, so Jessica and Victoria talk about Chris, about Jessica's feeling like she failed and probably was never really up to being a therapist in the first mm-hmm. place. Yeah. And Ugh. the text says, I wanted to apologize to her so badly, and I suspected she wanted to do, to do the same. We both left it unsaid. Yeah, I, I really like this conversation because, like, v- Victoria is basically beating herself up over over Chris, right? She's like, I failed him. I'm she like, I, I, I didn't do what you asked me to. Like, I didn't help him failed him and jessica's like victoria look like these kids were in bad shape when i got to them the fact that only one of the six of them went off and victoria's like ah, i see we're conveniently ignoring the two that have died uh-huh. <laughs> but but still like the fact that only like one of them uh one of them like was rejected this path is pretty shocking and pretty good and it's like I love this moment. We did some good. Absolutely. Some essential good from what I hear. Battles won and mystery solved that wouldn't have been uncovered without your hard work. I'll never deny that. Cool. Then what went wrong? Battlefields make for terrible therapy couches, Jessica said. That's all. That's always been the case. And it's like, look, Victoria, you need to stop blaming yourself. Like, this was never the ideal way. Like, it was never a sure thing that every single one of these characters was going to get to a better place. Yeah. And and doing it while on the battlefield made all that even harder. Right. Especially like in a battle when you're fighting against the Seamurk. Like it's just you can't beat yourself up for this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think I think maybe a healthy way to look at this would be to say what would have happened if if Jessica hadn't invited Victoria to be, you know, uh, to, to join the, the therapy session like the, right, right. this this group. Maybe they would have gone on to make their own um, team without her and they Mm -hmm. probably would have been way less successful without her leadership. Yeah. Uh, Maybe they would have all joined different teams and they probably would have all been like the team fuck up because they don't have this like network of people who understand their issues to work with, you know? Um, and, and so like the existence of the, of the therapy team of breakthrough probably was a, a net positive for all these people, even with some of them dying. Like they, like people die all the time, like like yeah. in, in, in the world of the capes anyway. So, yeah, I mean, there was a reason we called them the misfit toys before we had a name for the group. Right. Yeah. Because it was a, a, a clone of a former Slaughterhouse Nine member, uh-huh. a, a, a little girl that like could not control her desire to spy on people, a, a murderer and the brother he murdered. Uh uh-huh. Um, a former fallen member that locked the doors on, on a mall and let people yeah, die in terrorist. there. Yeah. And, and the clone body of, um, a, a birdcage villain uh-huh. <laughs> who has been programmed to do something big and destructive and wanting to become a monster. Yeah. I mean, like and, these and are our he- right. And Garot, the, the death machine. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I left off. Sweta. Yeah. yeah. Um, like this is, this was already a tall order from the beginning like this was never going to be easy. <laughs> like yeah. these are, these are broken people that have all done some terrible things and had terrible things done to them. Um, like to beat yourself up over failing to save one of them, um, is just like, 
Yeah. Do you know do you know the degree of difficulty you were working with here? Right. Yeah, I mean like that I think that's why ultimately the story is like a a, a good happy story because it's it could have been so much worse. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh but anyway, um as they're sitting there on the stairs, a random cape walks up and confronts Victoria about her plan and how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Um apparently Cryptid spilled the beans, which effectively takes that plan off the table. Um when did he do that on his way out? I think or just literally on his way out. He was telling people about it. Yeah. Hey, did you hear about the murder plan? Yeah. Yeah. I, I decided not to kill you all. Yeah. <laughs> you you owe me a, a thank you. Yeah. And then and then, of course, here, you know, at the end of this chapter, we finally get the what the plan is, which is uh-huh. to use like bio altering sound to torture murder as many capes <laughs> as possible, flooding the shard network with horrifying dreams and yeah. death. And uh, hopefully, hopefully derailing uh, the uh, the process. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing part, right? It, it, like, we get this idea, and I think it's a good hypothesis, that dreams and death are the two things that really fuck up the shard networks. Like, they, they don't know how to handle them very well. And so if we just flood the network with those systems, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, like, that's the part of it that's like, okay, so you're going to kill, like, thousands of people. And, like... It's a good hypothesis, but like, how confident are you? Like, what what level of confidence do we need to have that like, this is this is it? Um, uh, yeah, this, I mean, I, this is this is the whole. Th- and again, like, we have to preface this with like, this is supposed to be like the last ditch, no other choice effort, right? Like, we've lost everything's over, and we might as well pull this lever because the alternative is. Yeah, like mass extinction. Yeah, I think I think that's why it's it's hard for me to come to grips with because I'm like, well, this is so this is so bad. Well, like like the the only thing that's good about it is it's not a fate worse than death for the whole universe. Yeah, yeah. So so like at least you're sparing the humans. Like I think that's one interesting thing about it. We maybe haven't talked enough about is that it's mass death for the capes, but it should leave humanity completely unscathed. Sure. Like humanity should get out of this completely scot free, ideally. Yeah. Um, so so that's good. (laughs) Well, and it's just it's so off putting to hear Victoria Dallin say the phrase, um, the death would have to take long and there would have a long time and there would be many dreams in there. Yeah. Um and that's horrifying. That's absolutely horrifying. This is not like this is not like, okay, sacrifice yourself in battle this is not like uh just like i'll hit a button and all capes just die like we're turning off the matrix or something um this is long drawn out i don't i don't know if painful like they might make it so it doesn't hurt but how are you going to make it last a long time and there be no pain i don't know how does that work yeah even if there's no physical pain there's certainly going to be emotional pain like are are they going to be like happy dreams? Because I doubt it. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and and how long a time? Because they don't have that right. much time left anyway. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just so like it's so terrifying hearing Victoria say these words and say them like casually and like at this point she's like, well, we can't do it anyway. Although she's still trying though, right? She tells Riley to try to do it on her own, and she's desperately. That's what she sent Sveta off to do is find a bioticker or find someone that could do something. Um, but she has very little hope in that at this right. point. But. Yeah, I just I'm I don't know what to make it's so weird to me. Like one of one of the big things to me is I don't understand how some of our characters are okay with this. 
Like, I don't understand how Sveta was okay with this particular yeah, move. Because this is a classic utilitarian, coldly logical plan that Sveta would be like, hold up there. Right, right, right. Like, at least there would have been a debate. Right. And and we we didn't have the we did not witness the debate like yeah. this was kept kind of hidden from us. The full extent of it, the full scope of it was kept like intentionally uh, hidden from us, although in retrospect, it really wasn't that hidden from us because it's just genocide. Right. And the book told us True. that chapters ago. Yeah. <laughs> we just refused to believe it. Right. But it was just there the whole time. Yeah, I mean, what's what's funny is everything in this arc that we've been like tearing our hair out about to try to like go high level chess on has just been exactly what it appeared to be mm-hmm. um, which is which is hilarious yeah <laughs> there's so many times i mean when, when we if, if we ever listen to these episodes like this last arc maybe a little bit into the previous arc it'll be it'll be funny because we spend so much time going down these rabbit holes of like <laughs> well, what is what is actually happening here though what is actually happening it's like well what is actually happening is like exactly what appears to be happening and that certainly can't be just the words yeah. that the author used right. to tell us what was happening yeah no right um yeah yeah no <laughs> Well, and that's I mean, this is kind of now to to circle back around to the thing I put a pin in a little bit earlier. We once again have to keep in mind that there's some other contingency plan out there, right? Like uh, Chevalier reminded us of that. We don't know what it is, but it's out there. And we and we like. Why did Victoria. The one of like the person that's like, like had such a hard time with killing and like, like was so against this kind of idea. Like, I think one of the things is like, it's not exactly the same, but I remember when Victoria kind of chastised defiant for his move in the Leviathan fight. Right. Which was basically like Levi. He was so convinced that he could stop Leviathan, that he was okay. Sacrificing some other people. If it, if it assured victory, isn't that kind of similar mm-hmm. to what's going on here? Like, yeah. I, like it's just, it's just something that seems so very off for Victoria and something. And, and the way I've gotten around it is like Victoria has felt like she was going to die forever. Like that, that is in her mind, the end of being a hero is I'm going to die. That's what's going to happen. That is what's supposed to happen if you're a hero. And not that she wants it to happen. I don't think she has a death wish. I think she's just come to terms with the fact that being a hero means self-sacrifice, means you're going to eventually sacrifice yourself and you're going to die. And that's just what's going to happen. And and that's what we're going to do. And and this is why I, I brought up the moment with her calling out swan songs as a, as a badass, beautiful, cool death, because that is the cape death in her mind. And so when she looks at this problem, we go back to what Natalie said was you're so willing to sacrifice yourself. Um, you're so willing to jump in front of the bullet that let's make sure you don't do that needlessly. And I'm not saying it's needlessly here, but when, when your entire frame of mind is, I am going to, I, I, I am going to die. This is what's going to happen. This is my end. Then at least let me do it this way and 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 that's what i see capedom is as sacrificing your life for the greater good then this in her mind maybe is just well this is what was always going to happen so i might as well make it happen all at once for the sake of everyone and i think 
in her mind, the fact that it's going to happen to her too, I think helps her process that a little bit too. Like I'm not sacrificing others. I am, I am, I am going to be, that's going to be me too. Um, that's going to be my friends. That's going to be my family. Yeah. Um, I, I like your callback to Natalie's statement quite a lot. I think that's really important because like, I think, I think most people, if they're faced with kind of an impossible problem like this and they think of one solution and that solution is kill myself, they will either like immediately flinch away from that and not even say it out loud and just keep thinking. Or at the very least, they might say it out loud and be like, all right, I thought of, I thought of one idea. Here's my first idea. I don't like it. It's that we all kill ourselves, but <laughs> let's keep thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let, yeah. Let's, let's not, let, this is not a stopping condition. The stopping condition is, is we save the day, including ourselves. And I think that's a fan, that's just such a great point about Victoria's character and maybe something that I think that's, this is something that's been true about her all along, but it's taken us a while to fully appreciate it is she does throw herself into these situations where she could easily die. So, so readily and i mean the most recent of them being the time she attacked ophian for like no reason yeah Um, yeah yeah i I think that's a really good point this idea that it's like that that like it's it's it probably maybe would have worked probably would have worked but like you you stopped looking for alternatives so quickly that's the problem right right i mean and and that has to be true right because we just haven't heard her talk about anything else like this was the plan she came up with and it became the plan to the point where as soon as chris said no i'm not going to do it it was like fuck it's over this is it all, all I can think to do at this point is find another person to do this plan, not, OK, what are the other plans? Not, OK, I got to call Chevalier and say, what was your contingency plan? Like, wh- what is the thing that you guys are going to try? How can I help with that? It's like, I got to find something for this right now because this was it. This was the only plan. It's the when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail thing, except when you're um, self-sacrificial, every solution inv- involves self-sacrifice. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I like I like Jessica's reaction to it because she's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's the closest to a like, what the fuck yeah. <laughs> that, that that we're going to get out of, out of Jessica, because um, that's kind of yeah. how I felt. <laughs> right. Because it's like that's what that's what I think. Like, I understand why Wild Bill did it the way he did it, why he kept it so close to the chest, because like when the full scope of it is is exposed, you're just like, fuck. <laughs> and, and then you're also like. Well, I'm glad this isn't the plan anymore. Yeah, right. I'm glad I'm glad Chris decided not to do this, even if <laughs> right. he didn't really decide for the right reasons ultimately. Right. Right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's just and, and I mean the thing is like we're on chapter 8 of of presumably the final arc. We could have anywhere from 4 to 6 to 8 more chapters to go, but I just don't know where the book's going to go yeah. now. Yeah, I mean I think and and that's that's what I was saying a, a bit ago like I'm I, I, I'm sort of delighted at how I've been twisted up in a knot by all the Seamurg stuff. And now I'm like, okay, well, now we're past, now we're past the last moment that the Seamurg showed us, which means that we're kind of, we're sort of still on the rails, but we're not on the rails in the same way where right. we, we know exactly what the point, what the points we have to hit are going to be. Yeah. And the Seamurg's mind, this was, this was when, like yeah. she's done it now. She's, she's taken Chris off the board. Hooray. Um, although in her in her thing, Chris was flying away, right? Like he in her cause and effect chain, he didn't get turned back into a boy. That sounds right to me. Yeah. So maybe it's slightly different. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, know. I don't know. Maybe just like maybe just like 
I don't know. Like this gets into really, really weird shit where like, well, did did she actually see him literally like flying away or was this just like the image that she wanted to put in his head of him flying away from everything and leaving everything behind? So I, I don't want to I don't, I'm tired of trying to game this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to see yeah, it play out. Right. But. I, I like that we became tired of trying to game it just as we wrapped up the final conversation where. From now on, there's no more opportunities to game it. So Perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the discussion question, Scott. Let's do it. So this week, uh, the question was, talk about a time that Wildbo has used ambiguity. Uh, Rid Tom starts us off and says it's the diary, but not in the way most people think. They say, yes, it served as an effective tool in the story against Victoria, making her question who the culprits are and leading to a long and enjoyable time of theorizing and, and extravagant plots including uh, it was the fragile one writing the diary in Victoria's sleep. Um, but it hits readers on a deeper level. Worm has conditioned us to not trust the protagonist. It was, in fact, a recurring theme that Taylor's point of view is not uh, the be-all, end-all, um, uh, and, and, and that it can mislead us. She was biased and outright wrong a lot of times, and thus rereading Worm with that in mind opened up for new uh, interpretations. Uh, basically, the fandom grew exponentially between the time of Worm and Ward, and we got hit with two more protagonists from, from Pact and, and Twig who further cemented in us this idea that uh, you should never necessarily trust the, the uh, protagonist, the point of view, to say or think um, things that are true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then comes Victoria. And let me tell you, she was facing an uphill battle from chapter one um, because, <laughs> you know, fans, including us, have wondered oh, yeah. and second guessed Victoria's actions and feelings regarding certain people. Uh, you know who in situations you know what uh, even better people in universe were doing the same thing carol mark and various hero teams she applied for and even and even her teammates were second guessing her um, basically uh, it would be easier to count the people who didn't question victoria's judgment yeah um sveta uh, yeah that's it um <laughs> so when the diary reveals uh when the diary reveal hits it's a two for one Fans are given a taste of, there it is, that's the shoe that needed to drop for Victoria. And Victoria herself has an existential crisis going, oh, what the fuck, is this really how I'm thinking? Mm -hmm. And it's a delicious chapter uh, for reactions in and out of universe because, um, because of that. And it's made all the more relieving when Tattletail goes, oh yeah, this is obviously not you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember those moments and it was really great. That was such a fun mystery. And I do think like, whether or not we should be taking everything Victoria says with a grain of salt is a question that I've asked myself again and again throughout this book. Um, and I think it is something that Wildbo has used a little bit, has used that assumption um, to kind of trick us in certain ways, yeah. not just the diary, but in other ways as well. I think you're right. Um, a lot of the Amy stuff is predicated on this belief that, oh, certainly the protagonist has to be biased here. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 a it's a really clever way, I think, to kind of trick you into facing what um, what victims of abuse might feel like when they are trying to trying to argue about their abuser with people. So I, that was very cleverly and brilliantly done, I think. Yeah, that's one of the more cool and, and original um, and, and kind of haunting things the story is doing, I think. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Uh, next, we have R.L. Raider who says Scott really needs to read Twig. So I guess there's some amb ambiguity in Twig, Matt. Yeah, there's a lot of references to this one particular thing, which I'm not going to say anything more about. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, Vice Versailles says, why isn't Taylor just dead? 
You two mentioned it already during the episode, but I don't see anyone else getting into it, so I'll talk about Taylor's ambiguous end. We get an epilogue chapter where she's alive and sane, though powerless. Her dad is there, too. Uh, she gets a cathartic talk with an alternate version of her mom. It's great. Worm uh, concludes with the protagonist getting a normal life, the events of the book behind her. Which is great, except for the part where she was shot twice in the head, an injury understood to be notoriously difficult to survive by objectively the best <laughs> marksman in the setting. Um, so uh, I'm just going to go, I'm going to scroll down a bit because there's a, there's a, TL, a TLDR in the end, um, which is very nice. I really appreciate that. Yes, um, it's a very long, long, wonderful post, uh, but thank you for yeah. the TLDR. <laughs> so the TLDR is... Um, we don't know what really happens to Taylor in the end. It doesn't matter what happens to Taylor in the end. It doesn't matter to Worm. Worm said its peace in her compromises and her sacrifices. And the final conclusion matters much less than the final moral of the story. So I, th I think that's, I think that's great. Like I, I, I actually agree with that for, for all the fact that I, in, in my brain believe that she is alive <laughs> because that makes me happier. I don't think it changes the story one way or the other. Yeah, well, and I, I do think it allows you to craft your own meaning on the final moral of mm -hmm. the story. Um, and, and I agree with with this, this answer that um, like it doesn't fully change the themes of the story, whether Taylor is alive or dead. But like the final, final resting place of Taylor does allow you to in your interpretation of it does allow you to graft your own personalized meaning onto it. Um, in a way that ambiguity at the end of stories always kind of does. You have to decide, well, what do you think happened next? What do you think happened? Like, what do you think is actually happening? Did the top fall down or not? Um, that is what ambiguity gives you. And you, you come to your own conclusion. Um, and a lot of people don't like that because people want to be told the answer. Um, and I understand that there's times when I definitely want to be told the answer too, but, um, right. Yeah. Well, and, and also, the author gets to leave you with this question, which is much more interesting than leaving you with an answer. Sure. Sure. So. Because I think that's, I think that's what wild Bo stories want to do. Right. I, I like, I don't think these are stories that sit down and say, um, this is what I'm going to preach to you about. This is like, this is bullying and abuse and trauma. And I'm going to give you a definitive answer for all these things and what is right about these things and wrong about these things. That's not what these books do. They offer you angles and lenses and perspectives on all of these things. Um, and there are some conclusions, I think, um, but not definitive conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I love it. All right. Next we have twin hooks who says the baby and uh, for Megafire's sake, of course, uh, of course, Twin Hooks means toddler, of course, <laughs> even though um, a toddler is a baby, like scientifically, a toddler is a baby, folks. So maybe we need to stop having this argument. <laughs> Twin Hooks says, first time posting on this discussion board. Welcome. Right at the end here. Happy to have you. Thank you so much for giving this this Aster answer. Um, immediately when you started talking about ambiguity, I thought of the biggest meme and worm Taylor shooting Aster, even though it's a joke to most veteran reasons, readers, it's still something absolutely crazy that happens in Taylor's arc and Wibbles leaves it pretty damn ambiguous about the whole situation. There are a few lines of thought and, uh, and twin hooks goes through each of them. Taylor is killing Aster in order to spare her a worst fate worst fate this is probably the best option it's something that was already set up in gray boy's video where purity tries to throw her out of the window after one of the major incidents in the pre-leviathan story revolved mainly around purity fucking shit up because she's an overprotective mom all the hype about gray boy has firmly settled in and we see her try to kill her own child to get her away from him because that's the best thing she can do for her daughter 
Jesus. So this makes the choice seem like a rational, justified response from Taylor, an act of mercy. Um, that's true, but there are other reads here. Taylor is killing Aster just in case she ends the world. <laughs> 26 is a tense arc. We don't know what's going on or what's going to be the end of the world, but we're an, an on an overdue timer and the antics of the Slaughterhouse 9000 keep us on edge. A constant harrowing encounter with fates worse than death. The heroes needing to pull out all the stops and tactics and brutality leave the reader exhilarated. And while we're chasing Jake and slowly closing in. um, I lost my place. Sorry. Um, that's what. And then Taylor is thinking one or both of the above options and does it to spare someone else having to. That's an interesting read. I've never considered this one. Regardless of the reason, Taylor had a split second to make it and did it to spare someone else from having to live with it because she knows that she can. Foil and Re Revel open fire into the ranks and in the crossfire of all the clones and heroes, anyone could have killed the baby. But Taylor chose to do it because she chose to make the hard decisions in the path to saving the world. And this was something that had to be done. Maybe she didn't even know why. And she just did it. Um, I love that answer. Uh, this is yeah. this is I mean, it is one of the most complicated moments in and I think it's I think it's so it's such a testament to the book that Taylor shot a baby in the face um, can be a moment of ambiguity. Yeah. <laughs> like like in any other story, you're just like, oh, that's fucking terrible. You monster. But right. it is true. It is the, this. I, I am continually horrified by it. And I, I think all the points for why it, it was the morally correct thing to do have merit. And I'm not going to dismiss them. But it is horrifying to me to see a person who is able to decide to make that choice. Um, but yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And, and I think the, a lot of the ambiguity comes in how it was written because yeah, yeah. We, 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 don't see why she did it. Like it's, it's too, mm -hmm. it's too fast of a decision. She, yeah. she, she does it and then she reacts to it with this really tremendous emotional reaction, this panic, which mm -hmm. is really out of character for her. It's like, it's, it's such a horrific thing that it breaches even her famous compartmentalization skills. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a, a great moment overall. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we have that moment that where Wild Bo pulls us away from her point of view. Yeah. Right it, after that happens. Yeah. Yeah. That too. That too. So we don't, we don't get to see it. We don't get to sit with her. We're in someone else's head and we can guess and we can assume, but it's not certain. Yeah. Uh, Sam Low 17 says they're surprised no one has mentioned anything about ambiguity and horror yet. It's everywhere in the story, basically one of the biggest uses of ambiguity. From the most recent chapters where the ambiguity of Victoria's violence causes a feeling of moral horror to the very start of the story with the encounter with Nursery. That moment when Victoria hears the wet, meaty squelching coming from the crib is absolutely terrifying. Um, the, the, the ambiguous nature of the situation adds a lot to the horror and the tension of these moments. It allows the reader to come up with a lot of things to, to, to fill in the gaps, um, mm -hmm. uh, or, or even fear, feel the fear of the unknown unknowns that can't even be imagined in a Cthulhu-esque dread. Uh, <laughs> my, my favorite instance of this is the stranger Titan, which is only mentioned as a throwaway line, but the hallucinations it causes drive victims to suicide. What feeling, what visions are so horrible that it can cause a person to take their own lives? What the fuck are they seeing wild though? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I've, I've talked about that off and on, right? Like this idea that, that I, I always, I, I love, I love horrifying things that we never actually see the result. The, like, what are they actually? Um, it, mm -hmm. we, ju we just, we just know something, something, something behind you. There's something behind you. Right now, what is it? You, like that's way scarier than you turn around and it's a whatever to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree yeah. with that. Um, that's like I think the the scariest moments in horror movies are so often not the end of them because uh -huh. at some point you have to remove that that 
uh, cloak of ambiguity and it just stops being as scary because you know what the thing is now. Well, now I want to write a whole story where you never remove the cloak of ambiguity. I mean, it certainly is possible. Yeah. And, and some of the best writers have done it. Yeah. yeah. But, I, um, I feel like there's probably a horror movie that does that actually, but I can't yeah. think of it off the top of my head. Me neither. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's a good discussion question. No, we already have one. Uh, <laughs> next up, we have Alomancer who says, this isn't exactly the most thematically important or plot relevant example, but the only reason the sleeper has become such a point of fixation in the fandom is because how little about it, him, is actually explained. All we know is that the sleeper is an S-class threat on par with the Endbringers, that Taylor considered using him during Gold Morning to be more trouble than it was worth, and that he can read... <laughs> And that legend was able to drive him off by destroying a significant portion of the city with its laters. lasers. That's it. Everything, aside from the reading tidbit, describes the scale on which he's dangerous, but never gives us a qualitative description of what he actually does. Throughout Worm, Wildboat introduces a bunch of big background threats like this, such as the three blasphemies and the machine army, often in the same context as discussing the Slaughterhouse Nine and the Endbringers before we met them. All of those other threats eventually get explained a bit more, if not directly confronted, but the sleeper was kept as an ambiguous background threat to maintain a sense that there's still more going on in the Parahumans world than we actually see it see as the audience um that's absolutely true and i just i feel like this is it's it's made people mad when i've said this before and i'm not quite sure why but i feel like the sleeper is just like a fun tease that wild Bo's doing and i don't think it's ever going to be explained and that's just what it's always going to be okay yeah i agree like like what what could the answer possibly be that wouldn't just be like yeah, he has the power of, and then you're like, oh, okay, I know that information now, and now right. I'll never, I will never think about this again. Like in at my this life. point, at this point in the story, the only way we're going to learn more about the sleeper is if he literally like appears on the battlefield and saves the uh-huh. day. And my response to that would just be like, really? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, like I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Wildo's creative, uh, superhuman powers. Sure. I, I'm sure he has something great in mind for this. I, I just personally love. Um, the feeling, the the internal feeling of not knowing something, but feeling like a, a kind of dread about that thing, or like or like a a wonder yep, yep. about it. Right. I, I, I'm gonna headcanon it that he doesn't actually know what the sleeper does, <laughs> and that's just like he's never bothered because he doesn't feel like he's gonna do anything with it. I think uh, that would be the the funniest uh-huh. reveal of all. That like I I honestly, guys, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, me too alright uh, Martian Maneater says those Z's missiles though Z's is, is it Z's or Z's whatever um, so the Seamurg is the embodiment of ambiguity and Wibbledevon uh, uses textual references to the fact to that fact to make sure the reader is never really comfortable with feeling like they understand her motives and just like the capes we second guess everything the Seamurg touches can confirm yes indeed in Worm and War, there is textual uncertainty about how she works, how long it takes for someone to become a honed missile, for example, Alexandria, how long you're, until you're free of the Seamurg's influence, for example, Madison, where she aims one specific person, cryptid, or whether she aims every, anyone she affects equally, and then they list all of the, uh, the travelers. But even Taylor figured that Tattletail was the one chosen by the Seamurg to be hooked, um, which could like still be a problem even to the present day. And then, and then Taylor was the one who became Kepri and was a goddamn missile barrage of precog prophecy come true. Um, in, in Ward, Victoria regular, regularly repeats the mantra that the Seamurg is not a she. Um, she does not have feelings. That is 
uh, th- that to think of the scenery being crafty is to think that you have insight that you don't have. Everything feels like bait. Everything is a trap. Every course of action is playing into her hands. We just don't know what she's really up to. And that makes, that means we immediately feel foreboding the second she shows up, even if she's standing perfectly still. God, this is so mood. This is exactly how <laughs> my life has been for the past month. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what a great fictional construct. It's, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have next is uh, Das Niveau, who says, how about the arc titles of Wild Bogan's various works and those multi-layered meanings, various bug or light theme words without those things being definite things within the arcs, for example? Yeah, um, we've kind of like in the past tried to suss out the meanings of them. Um, and I think we've done a fairly good job of like coming up with guesses for the metaphorical meanings of these arc names in each arc. Um, some of some are more obvious than others. Um but there's definitely some ambiguity there for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, you, usually if there are multiple meanings of a word or multiple interpretations, Wablo tries to work in as many of those as, as practical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like I just realized, like we haven't really thought too much about last. Like there's the meaning of the word last. Like how long can you last, for example? Like here we right. have Victoria struggling and struggling and, and you know, lasting longer than you think she might, for example. Yep. I don't know. You know, that's just a, that's just a, a possible example. Very possible. Last answer is from Sarah Penguin, who says Kinsey's parents were acting really weird, but there was no explanation for why um, and, and, and why Kinsey was adopted before Gold Morning, but she's now with her parents. Abusers will often put on an act for others about how much they care for their victim so that people are unaware the abuse is even happening, which is why we see her parents drive her around and ask about her well-being, though there are cracks in the mask in how they phrase their questions and how they act. Leaving the reader unaware... we means we feel the same as Victoria when she finds out while also being a faithful representation of how abuse can be for a third party. It also goes with Kinsey's not wanting to bother people and do everything herself traits. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Counterpoint. What if they're robots? <laughs> they're holograms, obviously. Remember that, Matt? Remember I do. that? Remember the, remember the beginning of this story where everyone was convinced in sequence that each of these characters was actually the secret bad guy? <laughs> yes. That was great. Oh, the beginnings of books. They're uh-huh. so fun. Yeah. They're so fun. All right. Next week, discussion question. What is it that makes us want to give jerk characters the benefit of the doubt? Well, that's a good question, Matt. I don't know. What is it? I don't know. We'll I'd, find out next week. We'll find out next week. You can talk about Chris if you want, but like I, I, I specifically didn't say like in parahumans because I kind of want, I, I, I would like to see more abstract answers. Like, yeah, it'd be cool if you use examples from, from other, fi- you know, pieces of fiction or, or just mm-hmm. talk about it abstractly. Um, I, I kind of want to open up the, the conversation to be more uh, broad. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is definitely a truism of fiction. So examining it will be fun. Yeah. So let us know what you guys think. Yeah. All right. Scott, talk to us about March's Madness. All right. So we've got eight matchups from last week to go through and then four picks to make this week. And it's going to be rough, Matt. It's going to be rough. All right. Speaking of rough, we have <laughs> last week's matchup between Rayno Fire Frazier and Rachel Lint. Get it? Because dogs. That's ah. rough. That's rough. Uh. Um, so, unfortunately for everyone's favorite dog girl, Rain uh, won that one fairly handedly, 72 to 28 percent. I think we both voted for Rain there. So um, we were happy. Um, some of our comments here, we have doubly do who says, this is tough. Rachel's my favorite character in worm, but rain is my favorite character from ward. Mm. Well, that's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that is a tough one. And then we have Ponage Hobo who says, I've got to vote for my boy Rain. He's grown so much of a character throughout the story. I love me some Aunt Rachel and the heartbroken shenanigans, but I feel like Rain deserves a friggin' break. True. Yeah. True. Right. I mean, again, if we're if we're if we're going by Ward, it seems like this is a fair outcome. Yeah. yeah. And then we have Wilhelm who says, I will stubbornly stand by Rachel till the end. But if I'm being honest, this is probably the end. And <laughs> Wilhelm, you were correct. It is the Uh-oh. end for Rachel. Uh, Rain goes on to the Elite Eight. But who will he face? Yeah. Let's find out right now. Okay. <laughs> so in the other matchup in the Aleph bracket, we had our number three seed, Byron Vera, against our number two seed, Aiden Tate, a.k.a. Chicken Little. And uh, let's see what some of the comments here were, Matt. We have uh, Contessa herself has commented gotten into the game wow. and says always byron he beats chicken any day am i wrong no no i'm not <laughs> and contessa is never wrong yeah um, it's true and, and was right because byron i was surprised by this one matt byron beats chicken little uh 55 56 to 44 percent um so Contessa is right again. Yeah, that's one of those skin of your teeth Contessa victories where she mm-hmm. she just makes it look easy. Yeah, indeed. indeed. All right. So that is our elite match- eight matchup would be Byron versus Rain. And we'll get to that choice in a second. Let's move on to the bet bracket, Matt. All right. Uh, do you want to? Sure. To, I'll read the comments, but do you want to set up the matchup? We've got uh, Lisa Wilburn Tattletale versus Missy Vista. And I mean, people love people love Vista. She had a great showing in, in Ward, mm-hmm. but you know who else had a great showing in Ward? Tattletale. Uh, yeah. Um, whole whole arcs of Tattletale, and yeah. and we couldn't get enough. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised to see her uh, take this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she takes it pretty handedly here. Yeah, um, it is 72 to 28 percent. I expected Tattletale to win this one. I did not expect her to dominate it in the way she did. I thought there was a lot more Vista love out there. Yeah, um, I mean, Tattletale is just so great. You can't can't argue with it. So we have we have in the comments we have Isaac here saying Vista all the way. Tattletale has become so small in Ward. She's helping with other people's plans, not running her own like in Worm. Vista has grown and become the hero she was always meant to be. I agree, Isaac. But also we have Gilbert here, who it seems like Gilbert's going to vote for Vista. It starts. Vista is great. Lots of characterization in Worm. A reappearance in Ward that shows off how she's grown and started moving on from the people she's lost while forming new ties to the people that are still with her. It's all great stuff. Okay, so you voted for it, but <laughs> Tattletale is the universe's best anti-villain fuck-up, and I love her to pieces. So let the cracks do their work and turn little V into biggest V. <laughs> Vista's too good for this world, but Lisa Sarah Tata is exactly the kind of broken character we need to keep suffering through till the end. <laughs> that was good. Sorry, was I just love that that image. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, and then finally, is this is is this our first uh, breakthrough versus breakthrough matchup? It is. It is our first breakthrough versus breakthrough. So we've got Kenzie Martin versus Sveta Karelia, and the winner is Kenzie Martin, sixty yeah. percent to forty. I wasn't too surprised about this one. Um, this one got a lot of comments, though. I think there's a lot of people. Um, we have Sarah Penguin who says, "Cracking in a jar, hugs Kenzie to get her to stop wiggling. Heart shaped pupil dies." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's great summer says hardest match so far i agree summer uh swaggy g says oof this one was hard earlier in the story i'd probably have said kenzie but now svet has grown on me so much so i'm gonna have to go with her um 
Contessa here. Contessa's back and uh-huh. just says, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so Contessa couldn't make up her mind yet again. Yeah. So she she passed that choice on to Sveta again. Probably. And Sveta probably chose to to sacrifice herself for Kenzie. There you go. That's what happened. That's yep. what happened. That's uh, that's how that matchup went. That's mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's canon. Uh, it's not it's not so much that Sveta lost. It's that Sveta decided to take a fall for Kenzie. So that's got that's got to be it. That's yeah. Be All right. It. Good. All right. All right, next we are moving on to the Gimmel bracket, and our first matchup is between our Cinderella story, Lauren slash Fumehood, against Victoria Dallin. <laughs> Does the Cinderella story continue? No. No. <laughs> no. Victoria handedly sends Fumehood back to Titanville with an 87 to 13% victory. Uh, poor Fumehood. We only had one comment on this one because I think everyone saw the writing on the wall. Um, and Der Dunkel here, the one comment is actually someone who voted for Lauren. Who needs Victoria if you can have the fragile one? Which is, oh, ouch. Okay, ouch. yeah, wow. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if anything, it's a bit uh, surprising that Fumehood got 13 points on Victoria here. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is, actually. Uh, the next matchup in Gimmel is Dragon and Defiant, the team-up versus Cryptid, Chris Elman. And you know, if this matchup had happened two weeks ago, I think we might have seen a different result. Uh-huh. But uh, it was a bad week for Chris, uh-huh. and that was reflected in the votes because Dragon and Defiant beat him 60% to 40%. Yep. Ouch. I mean, uh, right now, I can't feel too bad about that. You know, despite, despite loving Chris as a character, I'm not happy with the kid right now. Yeah, uh, we have Hero who says, who would win? Cyborgs enhanced with computer simulations, full body armor, and the technology of a thousand dead races, or one feathery boy? <laughs> I guess we'll see, won't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ponage Hobo says, if we're talking worm, then it's got to be D&D, but the rules have changed. It's true, the rules and have I, changed. And we, we see here Dragon Stan, I think, voted for Dragon and Defiant, I think. Pro- pro- probably. Mm-hmm. Um, Shin Bracket, the final bracket, uh, we have uh, Swan Song versus Withdrawal. Uh, yet again, we have a major malfunction making it surprisingly far in the race only to be confronted by an extremely powerful member of Breakthrough who destroys them. Yep. And the comment, we have one comment on this one from Kao Subalu who says, Withdrawal beat Furcate? Time for another girl who's died two or more times to correct this miscarriage of justice. <laughs> uh, these comments so, are great. So <laughs> Y'all keep at it. Yes, please do. It's so fun. And this makes this so much more fun. Yeah. Uh, and then the second matchup, Imp versus the Fragile One, Waste. And uh, I guess the Fragile One just couldn't keep track of where Imp was because... Ooh. She got popped. Ooh. Yep. It was 66 to 34% in favor of Imp. Um, so the person who voted against Victoria because they had the fragile one. Well, now you don't. Uh-huh. So there. Yep. All right. So that is it for the Sweet 16. Let's make our picks. Okay. Let's do it. Let's see. Are there any nightmares in here? Oh, they're all nightmares. Oh, yeah. That's all good. Them, all That's so great. First up, we have the Aleph bracket, the winner of this bracket that will go on to our final four. Um, we have our number one overall seed in Reino Fire Fraser, aka Precipice, versus Byron Vera, aka Capricorn. Uh, I think I'm gonna that, have to go with Rain. Yeah, I mean Byron is not in a he's not in Breakthrough anymore. So yeah, he, I vote be- for Breakthrough. He's betrayed everyone. Yeah. Um. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I love. I, I do love both of them a lot, though. It wasn't an easy choice. 
it was not an easy choice. Um, I'm surprised Byron got here. Like, like we said, I, I really thought this was going to be Byron versus Chicken Little. And I, I thought that was going to be hilarious because he <laughs> thinks he thinks or Rain versus Chicken Little. Sorry. He thinks Rain is so cool. And how could he'd probably if he was in this poll, Chicken Little would vote for Rain. Uh-huh. It's true. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Rain's such a badass. Yeah. All right, Matt. What's the bet matchup? Uh, Tattletale versus Lookout. This has got to be the worst one. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm going to vote for Kenzie because I, I'm prioritizing ward characters, think, even though even though Tattletale has a big influence in this in this book. I thought Tattletale, one yeah. of the biggest of the worm characters in this book, I think. Yeah, right. I think I think Tattletale had a fantastic arc for sure. But Lookout has just been a continuing source of excitement, drama sadness happiness so many feelings so mm-hmm. yeah i'm gonna go with lookout all right all right we are on to the gimmel matchup between victoria dallin and dragon and defiant it's nerd alert nerd alert the name of the matchup one one nerd versus the captain of the nerds uh-huh. uh this is actually the easiest choice for me all week um yeah it's victoria yeah it's definitely victoria yeah, right. It, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final one, uh the Elite 8 Shin matchup. Never forget uh <laughs> Swan Song versus Imp, which I I I sort of wanted to say was hard, but not actually. Sorry. I think I, it's I think it's hard when you like just when you just look at it, but if you think about it for a second, yeah. it becomes less hard. Right. I mean, it, especially like imp having her interlude so recently that makes it a little bit harder but swan song is like uh, like just fucking great yeah yeah yep, yep, yep. yeah all right so that is it so um that is the end of our voting for the elite eight and we will be back next week to discuss the winners of those and vote in the final four to decide who is going to the championship round i don't know who it's going to be are we going to have another final four of all number one seeds or not i don't know i don't yeah. know well once again show off your seeding skills yeah, well, we'll look forward to that. Um, that's all we've got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is at mordinamail. And Matt's tweeting about stocks. Stocks. Stocks a lot, yeah, it's... It's it's a good way to keep my mind off of things. <laughs> They're going. That's the worst plan I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. Well, I'm not very smart, so um, yeah. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else podcasts can be found. And as always, you can find this and all the other podcasts and other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. Remember. The the video game club is coming up, and so it's the perfect time to check out doofmedia.com and learn about all our other shows because we're adding another one. Yeah. Speaking of a perfect time, what else is it a perfect time to do? It's a perfect time to uh, consider supporting our shows by donating on Patreon at patreon.com slash doofmedia. In fact, if you're worried, if you're thinking to yourself, I might I might forget about this game club thing or or, mm-hmm. or what was that thing they said about the the uh, the pilot season then just save yourself the hassle of having to remember and just become a patron and then you'll be in the the stream of getting all of these updates organically 
Uh, yeah, so- one of the one of the bonuses of being a patron is we actually just uh, directly uh, incept your mind yeah. and just bring the shows right to you. It's like it's that thing cool. in the in the Val Kilmer Batman movie with uh, J- Jim Carrey's um, Riddler, where there's like the green thing that beams stuff into your brain. Yeah, we send exactly you one like of that. we send you one of those. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly um, like that. Supporting us on Patreon at the twenty dollars per month level gets you the power to force us to watch a movie or a short story of your choice that we will do an episode on um, on the Doofcast. Mm-hmm. Um, that as well as every other level gives you the ability to vote in our fan art and costume contests, and of course access to the excellent Discord chat. It does also give you the ability to vote in the video game club contest as well, because they are going to give them five games to choose from. And the patrons get to vote which game they want Elliot and Ruben to play. So, man. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool opportunities. So much cool stuff, yeah. Um, and as always, of course, while you're on Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash wildbow and donate to Wildbow as well because this is his world. We are just playing in it. Special thanks this week to new patron Tringard. Uh, at the doof dancer level thank you so much Tringard. we appreciate that yes thank you thank you thank you and if you cannot afford to donate right now that is absolutely okay it's a very scary time out there um you know just physically and financially and so we we get it we definitely get it there there are still tons of way to help tons of ways to help us out though the show is coming to an end pretty soon here um and but it's still never too late to share it with people so please do please share it with people um i know you guys are constantly getting people to try to read worm and ward i i am too um and maybe recommend us as a good companion piece to those readings um and of course you can always leave us a rating and a review on stitcher on apple podcasts on anywhere else where they have those rating and reviews those really do help us look legit it's true we like looking legit we do well, that's all we got for you next week. Next, uh, uh, this week rather. Uh, yeah. Next, I mean, uh, yeah. I hope it's not all we got for you next week. Um, <laughs> next week, we will see. Uh, I, I assume probably two more chapters of this last arc. I, you know, you know what predictions I can make about the next two chapters? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Victoria is going to be in it. Well, you sure? No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Who the fuck knows? It's fair. Yeah.